Welcome to the Unapologetic Truths Podcast. Today, we are back with Life Math Money and a returning guest, Kyle Trouble, who made a lot of noise in our last episode where he was stuck in Ukraine, and he's going to be giving us some updates uh, today. How's it going, Harsh and Kyle? Everything is well. How are you doing? Doing great, great. Uh, Kyle, you still holding up safe? Still alive. I'm still alive. Still alive. That's the good part. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> die like we were joking about last time, but it, it was a close call. So hopefully, yeah, glad to be here. So update us, man. I mean, what happened since our last call? Okay. In a nutshell, I think I left the last show as I was getting progressively more drunk on some of that scotch I was having at that time to deal with it. And I went down to the basement because I had gotten some pretty serious warnings that there were going to be some airstrikes and they didn't happen. So I sat in the basement and nothing happened. But after that, about, Oh, when was it about four o'clock that morning? I basically didn't sleep that entire night, just up and tossing and turning and about four ish AM. Um, I was up already at that point. My girl was up and all of a sudden, you know, basically all night there'd been this tram going outside of the apartment we were staying at it would make this like whooshing sound almost as it went by like a plane. And I kept thinking it's a goddamn plane. It's a goddamn plane. I'm going to die sitting in this apartment. It's a damn plane. And then that tram every time would kind of click. It would kind of make like a clackety clack on the rails. And I knew then I was safe. Well, eventually there was one where I heard that whoosh and then there was no clack. And instead it was just this gigantic explosion and the entire apartment windows. I mean, they lit up like, bright orange it was like a fire was right outside the window and it turns out that it was either a plane or a drone was shot down i believe by air defense systems and landed in an apartment about a kilometer from where we were sleeping um at that point Uh, i took one look at the road the traffic everything had calmed down and i pretty much made the executive decision like we are going And what I did not tell on the show last time, actually, was that I'm actually expecting my first child. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations, brother. Thank you. Um, So that played into the whole decision, obviously, to have your unborn child thinking that you're all going to perish. So we got in the car, drove out of Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine. And basically from there, took about 12 hours to get to the border area. And then we got to that border area, I believe it was oh, a Friday night around 8 or 9 p.m. And we had to sit in the car, spend two nights in the car. And then we crossed into Poland and into safety on Sunday about 1 or 2 p.m., if my memory serves me correctly. So roughly 55 total hours from Kiev to crossing the border. And that was pretty much how it went down. Um, I saw some pretty crazy things at the border. Um, I saw absolute worst in humanity, crabs in a bucket mentality. And it is, it's amazing when people are desperate, like what will happen and how people will react. And you, and you will never know until you're actually in one of those situations. So um, quite interesting to see all of that. But in a nutshell, that was, that's the story of how it all went down right after I caught off with you guys last time. Kyle. You have to elaborate on everything you said. Okay. <laughs> Which part? From the beginning. <laughs> From the beginning. Okay. Uh, Wait, I have a small question and you don't have yeah. to answer it. But so far, have you killed anyone in the war? I have not killed anyone, no. <laughs> That's exactly no. what the murderer says. So. 
<laughs> I mean, personally, I, I find it disgusting how Ukraine is making men stay. You know, any man aged 18 to 60 is forced to stay. They cannot leave the country. And I think it's extremely hypocritical to be sitting there saying we're democratic, we're democratic, and then say that. Like, that's ridiculous. And I'm fully against that in any country, in any war. I don't think anyone should have to go fight the wars that the politicians start, unless the politicians on the front line, you know, in the line of fire with them. And even then, I don't think they should be forced to. So, the word democracy at this point is basically a measure of how big of a U.S. vassal you are, in the sense Mm -hmm. that I saw a chart which says that India is not a democracy; it's an autocracy. Meanwhile, Ukraine is supposedly an electoral democracy, but like from what I understand, in Ukraine, a lot of Russian parties are like outright banned, and even their languages are banned. But all, it's all still more democratic than are, India, according to this yeah. chart. Yeah, so, all the Russian parties are banned at this point, for sure. So it's almost like this whole measure of how democratic you are is a measure of how much the U.S. can exert control over you. Uh, that sounds pretty accurate, <laughs> to be honest. You're not going to get any argument from me. So out of curiosity, did you get any blowback by trying to leave? Because you said 18 to age 65 couldn't leave men. A lot of people on Twitter actually called me a coward and said I ran from my new home. And, you know, my general response to that is, you know, I'm a independent, sovereign individual with an online income. Like, why would I stay with my family, you know, in a war zone? Why, why would I subject them to that when I can simply pack up, leave and start my business somewhere else? It, that doesn't matter to me. Obviously, that was home. Um, obviously, I have strong feelings for Ukraine, but at the end of the day, you know, the survival is more important. And like I said, I'm not going to go fight some politician's stupid war. Um, there's no point of, of dying for them. So, yeah, I got a lot of blowback on Twitter for that. Um, you know, I don't think any of my Ukrainian friends blame me for leaving in this case. Um, but yeah, a lot of them are still stuck there. And no, I mean, that, that was mostly on Twitter, really, which is no surprise. On Twitter, you'll get blowback for anything. And I mean yeah. anything. Like, they have this That's whole true. thing going on where, you know, whatever is the current thing, if you don't support the current thing, you're probably an evil person. So mm-hmm. if you are anti-mask, you're evil. If you're anti-Ukraine or, you know, not exactly, not, not pro-Ukraine. It's like either you're with us or against us. So if you're mm-hmm. not pro-Ukraine, like you're not fighting the war, then you're evil. And mm-hmm. it's literally very mimetic. Yeah, they're just like robots. I mean, yeah, now the current thing is too, like, oh, you're questioning the whole Disney thing and all that grooming stuff, which is just freaking weird. And, you know, oh, you, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's it's the mob mentality, man. It's just all or nothing. I'm interested in learning more about what you said earlier when you said that it's, you know, people in desperate times behave desperately. Mm-hmm. I would like to learn more what you meant by that and what your experiences were, because... Lately, I'm listening and learning more about the bubonic plague and how it changed society in Europe. And I would like mm-hmm. to learn, I would like to see the parallel. So please tell me more. Yeah. So here's how it worked, basically, was that whole stretch um, when the border queue started was a one lane road. So one way each direction. Right. And there was almost no one going into Ukraine. So basically, everyone who was trying to leave was lined up on the right hand side of the road. And there were mobs of people that were preventing people from passing on the left-hand side because they don't want people going up and cutting, and, and rightfully so, right? 
so basically what happened was, you know, it was sub freezing temperatures at that point. Obviously I have a pregnant woman with me. I can't have her out in the cold, but we got close enough to the border where we probably could walk the rest of the way and then cross on foot, which was significantly faster. And on top of that, um, you know, the person who was driving the car with us could not leave because he, he was a man. So we weren't taking the car across. So finally, after two nights in the car, we were close enough. I said, okay, let's drive up on the wrong side of the road very calmly as far as we can. Let's try to get to within a, a kilometer or a mile of the border crossing. <clears throat> so we're driving up and it's like four or five in the morning and this mob of women, probably seven or eight of them, you know, get out and block us. And we're speaking in Russian and, you know, my father-in-law is explaining like, hey, you know, my daughter's in here. She's pregnant. They are leaving. You know, her husband is not Ukrainian. He's American. So please let us through. And then they start saying, well, we have children too. We have a pregnant person as well. So you can't get through. I got out of the car basically and said, here is my passport, right? I said, this car is not going across. We're going to a different line than you. So let us through. And they would not let us through. Finally, I took over and I basically just floored it by them. You know, they would block the car physically and they were just like, you know, crabs in a bucket. Like if we can't escape, then everybody gets pulled back in. And, you know, basically it was to the point where, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if they're going to start striking that area. You don't know, you know, how many more days you're going to be sitting in that car. And I tried so hard, like to be a good person throughout this whole wait. I let people play with my dog. You know, I gave out some food. I gave out some water. Like I tried to to do the right thing and help people because we were prepared. You know, we had plenty of provisions and we were in good shape. And I tried to really make sure I helped as many people as I could within reason. And that kindness was not repaid to me when I needed it, when I needed to get up to the front. And, and you know, like I said, totally different scenario than all these other people were in. And it took pretty much getting in the car, flooring the gas and, you know, making a decision like, you know, this person's either getting out of the way or they're getting, you know, splat. And to have that mentality, you it, it really opens your eyes to what people are going to do if stuff gets bad. And of course, now the whole world is talking about food shortages, about inflation, about all these other problems. And to kind of see that on display of what people will do when they're desperate enough is, it's kind of eye-opening. I'll put it that way. Interesting. So what was the response after you like just started your car? Did they get away or did they try to stop you? Oh, they, they would try to run after, but there's nothing they can really do at that point. Um, but then you'll just encounter another mob, you know, a kilometer or two down the road doing the same thing. Um, at one point, then finally, my father-in-law gave his passport to one of them so that they knew he couldn't leave. I don't know what good it really did. And then people started letting us through and we explained that there were documents back down the road, you know, waiting. And I don't know. That's just how people were, man. I mean, to a certain extent, I understand. But, you know, it was obviously a very different situation. And even when you explained it, calmly and logically you know there was no reasoning with them but again it was a it was a group of women so i can't say i'm too surprised but it is what it is <laughs> and your father all i can still say back is that go ahead, go yeah ahead. yeah he's all my father-in-law is still in ukraine he's unable to leave um you know like all the husbands of my girl's friends they can't leave um, all my other ukrainian friends from sports and everything they can't leave yeah they're all stuck wow so i mean somewhat of a blessing that you were able to leave because i'm surprised they didn't just keep you there as well that would be a really tricky tricky diplomatic situation if they started 
not allowing foreigners to leave and forcing them to serve in an army. That would be pretty crazy. Did any of your friends that you know uh, serve that you're aware of? Um, at first, when this all started, it, they were all so gung ho, and they were all, several of them were trying to sign up for the territorial defense, which is not the full army, but it's like you're in a your city, your section, and you're given weapons, and you you kind of do like a patrol, and you're kind of you know a part of the military. Um, yeah, I have one friend, a foreigner who is serving. Um, and oh, I, I shouldn't go into too much information on that, obviously, but he's not on the front lines or anything. He's doing more PR work. Um, another friend. American who has served and he's former US military. Um, and so he's actually served in the trenches as a little bit. And yeah, that's about all I know other than people trying to join the, the local defense squads. Isn't it interesting, Kyle, that for all of the talk they do about how you can identify as a woman, when you really need to do it, it's not allowed. <laughs> Did you hear about the trannies that tried to leave, Harsh? No, but I would have been one of them if I was in your case. <laughs> no, dude, they turned away. They were actual trans women who are now women, but on their passport, it still says they're men, you know, but they identify as a woman and they turned them back and they enlisted a couple of them. So, But if you forcefully enlist people, won't you have a mutiny? Like if you try to forcefully put me in an army, I'll kill you. You hand me the gun and you're dead. I'm gonna, I'm dead uh, too, but you're dead first. You're dead too. Yeah, well, most people don't have the courage to do that or even probably the the foresight to do that right i mean then you know you're going out at that point but i don't know if they're necessarily forcibly enlisting many if any and they're certainly probably not giving those guns it's like oh hey you're gonna go wash dishes you know in the in the cafeterias or you're gonna go move supplies or something like that like i would imagine food, you know like I, yeah. if, if i'm forced in a war that i don't want to be in my the person who's trying to get me killed is the people forcing me in the war not the people fighting against the war, you know, not the mm-hmm. opposite side. Yeah. So it, it's not, I don't think it's safe for these guys to en- forcefully enlist people. Or at least well, just... forcefully enlist people like me, at least. Yeah, but most people aren't like you. That's the difference. Most people eventually will just cave, right? You know, I think that's their best way of survival. I'm in the same boat as you, man. I'd rather go out at that point if you're going to make me. You know, I'm your worst enemy at that point. But, you know, it's it's worked before. Like, in all sorts of wars where they've drafted people who didn't want in. So it's obviously, it has precedent. Well, that's what happened with Muhammad Ali when they were trying to get him to fight in Vietnam. He mm-hmm. was like, I'm not going to fight in Vietnam. I mean, there's no one in Vietnam that's racist towards me. Actually, as a matter of fact, the people that are trying to send me to Vietnam are more racist towards me than the people there. Mm-hmm. So he didn't fight in the 60s. And I recall this was when he was on, uh, like from what I've heard at least, uh, he was on top of the world. He had like championship belts. He was stripped of it. And I think he spent what, like two, three years in prison because he didn't for dodging uh, the draft. Yeah. I didn't know that about him. I mean, That's interesting. I mean, what's unique about this harsh and Kyle is that, I mean, from this perspective, from like, let's say living in America, the whole idea of like, you know, being forcefully drafted into a war seems like something that is so out of date like it doesn't happen nowadays but, but then you have to register dude yeah right? but nowadays right but when something like this is happening in ukraine you're like oh whoa like this is literally happening in other countries so this is giving some perspective mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's just it right now in the states obviously we have this huge military budget right because we print money out of thin air and the whole world has to for now kind of toe that line 
and we have all this military might and we have all this budget we can afford to pay well enough and give enough good benefits that there's no shortage of volunteers but there might be a point where that changes in the future for sure i've heard in the us the physical fitness requirements have to keep dropping because there's not enough fit people in the us to serve in the army and for the women too they have to keep dropping the standards for the women you know they can't do as many push-ups or pull-ups so they drop those and then they drop the men too as a result i believe that's how it's been working i wouldn't be surprised if the wars of the future would not involve humans they would be like machines versus machines i mean like I robots think, yeah to a certain extent we might even already be in a world war 3 it's like an info war it's a disinformation war it's a war on people's minds more than anything and we've seen that with covid for the last couple of years right yeah i think it's it's hard to imagine world war 3 being fought on the same level as like world war 2 you know it's just well but who knows i'm sure they said the same thing at the time as well i would not call it a world war until china joins yeah or anyone at this matter for now it's just russia russian ukraine so it's it's nowhere near a world war at this point but like i was telling armand you know before you came on harsh you know it's just really one small spark away from at this point you know some of these other european countries are just pushing and pushing and who knows what's going to happen it's it's going to take one small spark i think that you know a lot of this war is kind of being prolonged because of europe where Europe wants Ukraine to keep fighting as a way to weaken Russia. Mhm. Like yeah, I'm not like going to the last Ukrainian. But they're kind of encouraging it. No, they fully are. Yeah, no, they'll fight down to the last Ukrainian and, you know, all the US politicians that are like, "Oh, send more arms, send more arms, more weapons, more weapons." It's like, "Well, yeah, they're the same people that own stocks in Boeing and Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, right?" So, their whole, you know, defense stocks are going up. They'll cash out at some point. It's yeah, it's very worse profitable. We all know that. And what's been the whole take on Vladimir Putin right now? Because I saw this one headline recently. that said Vladimir was going to threaten war on the US for arming Ukraine is there any mm-hmm. truth to that I have no idea man I mean I can believe they have said they've said publicly now that any US weapon shipments or any NATO shipments into the country are now fully fair targets so basically if you have an American driver driving weapons in we will target that and we will not you know that's that's the playing field right so It's certainly possible um that being said, you know, I think probably when I spoke to you guys last time I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be over really quick. I might even might not even have to leave. You know, it's not going to be a big deal and I thought Russia was going to just roll the floor really quickly and that has not been the case and I think it's been very interesting to watch the propaganda on both sides. Um, you know, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, right, between the Ukrainian propaganda and the Russian propaganda. But I I've, I've noticed like the Russians keep saying now, "Oh, everything's going to plan. This is the plan. This is the special military operation that they're calling it." And if you look at it, they really haven't captured much of anything or made any progress now. So it's definitely now that propaganda to me has shifted on that side where it's like, "Oh, no, they're they're trying to rationalize something that really probably is not working at this point." What exactly is going on in Kiev? Is your house still under Ukrainian control or is it like destroyed or what is up? No, everything's under Ukrainian control now. You know, nothing's been destroyed at this point that 
I live in or that any of my family or friends live in, as far as I know. Um, they've, you know, knocked out certainly some residential buildings and some shopping malls. I think, you know, there was a big one called the Retroville that was just absolutely obliterated. Apparently they were storing munitions and weapons there. So it was a fair target, supposedly, um, you know, but there hasn't been, you know, Kiev hasn't been flattened and they had so much time at that point to kind of reinforce the defenses around the city that it seems like it's pretty well in Ukrainian control. I think probably the areas of, you know, more Russian control are in the southern parts, um, it kind of n- near the sea. So that's where they have the control. But as of now, yeah, the capital and all the west parts are fully under Ukrainian control. And apparently, they're now starting to mount counteroffensives in some of the regions that they lost. So that's kind of my where I'm coming from. You know, the Russians are like, oh, it's all going to plan. It doesn't really seem like it anymore to me. Hmm. And from all of this harsh, would you say India is staying away from this? Do you see them getting involved as well? I hope India stays away from this. <laughs> I think, right. that, you know, who India was one of the biggest losers in the world wars because we were a part of the British army, right? We were like a colony. So we were their slaves in a way. And they took millions of Indians in the British wars in the World War One and Two, and we got killed. And I just hope if World War Three happens, this time you guys kill each other. Don't involve us. We're chilling here in the south <laughs> of the world. <laughs> Leave us like the US. You know, you know how the World War II played out, where the Europe kind of destroyed itself and the only one left was the US and Russia. And that's how the Cold War started. Like these were the only two powers left. France, Britain, everything, they kind of like disintegrated, their empires were lost. If there's a third world war, I would want India to be in the same position as the US. Like we're happy to sell everybody arms, but we're staying out of the whole killing ourselves part of it. That would be like, nice. But like that's the, the problem. Is side. There's too oh. many packs and too many, you know, if someone attacks someone, then somebody else has obligated to defend them. Do you know harsh if India's in any of those agreements? Because that's how World War II escalated so much. India is in certain agreements like that, but they're usually they're meant to defend against China. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not the whole Russian Ukrainian thing. I would be okay. really surprised if the war comes to India. You guys are so far away too. I mean, I'm looking at the map now. It's it's they've got the whole Our Middle thousand. East and a lot of other wars going on in between there, right? I mean, that's a that's a pretty big buffer, you'd think. Yeah, plus India isn't really involved in this. Like we have no history there. Like one of the reasons these wars are happening is because of history. Like these people want to be in some country or the other for whatever historical <clears throat> reasons. And because India doesn't really have a history there, we have no enemies, so to speak, or no one who wants to leave India to join some other side, etc. So it's unlikely. I think to the come one here. thing, like India, though, I think you guys have been sanctioned by the U.S. Not that the sanctions really mean anything at all. It's just politicians. But you guys have not renounced Russia, so you've been sanctioned in some way, I believe. But I don't, I don't even know what exactly that means anymore. There's so many of them. I didn't even know we were sanctioned. Yeah, so you don't we even were, know. So. We didn't, we, it wasn't covered here at all. I don't think that it, India can. It won't hurt India as much to get sanctioned because we're not super dependent on foreign supplies we're a self-reliant nation pretty much mm-hmm. and also for the fact that india is a big market so sanctioning india is like really stupid on the sanctioners part 
for Russia, Russia is a supplier. It's not like a market. Russians aren't importing as much as India and everyone else is. Mm-hmm. India is like 20% of the world's population almost. So mm-hmm. sanctioning India is like saying, hey, okay, so we won't expand in this part of the world. So they're going yeah. to develop independently. And then we won't have any you know, market size over there, market share there. So it's it, it would be stupid on a, from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. It would hurt the, the sanction more than the sanction. Well, that's the same thing that's happened in the U.S. with the Russia stuff. I mean, it's like, oh, we've sanctioned Rus- Russia, and you guys are going to pay $6 a gallon for your gas. But in reality, they're just sending it through an intermediary, a bank in India or a bank in China or a bank in the Middle East. Now we're buying the oil not from Russia, but from the Bank of Hong Kong or whatever it's going to be. So we're not actually doing anything at all. We're just hurting Americans now, and it's it's absolutely stupid that people keep falling for it. But nothing you can do like Armand what's the price of gas where you are now it's like four four dollars minimum and that's pretty light uh, compared to the rest of the US I say yeah it's it's six bucks here in California 550 to six bucks so six bucks Damn. yeah it's, it's I do think the the sanctions that were put in Russia are really hurting their economy because Russians they really depend on foreign technology. They don't have as many indigenous tech companies. Mm-hmm. That and are they're hurting the people. Yeah, they're the hurting thing. the civilians. It's like a war with civilians, I think. Like That's you how guys all the wars end up. <laughs> Say again, Hush. In the sense that we're going to keep hurting the civilians, <clears throat> hoping the civilians are going to start protesting and destabilize the country internally. Yeah, I think that's their hope is that by not allowing, you know, Disney and not allowing Marvel and not allowing McDonald's, that citizens are going to be so mad that they're going to march on the Kremlin and overthrow Putin. I don't, uh, that's apparently the plan, which I think is a pretty stupid plan, but it can, whatever. Happen. it can, but I mean, first off, who knows where the guy even is? He's more than likely in a, in a mountain bunker where no one knows where that is. Um, who put in? Yeah, probably at this point. I hear a lot of these rumors that Putin is worth over $100 billion. Is there truth to any of that? (sighs) Impossible to verify, but probably. Um, If you kind of look at the history, basically when the Soviet Union fell, the oligarchs were able to loot a lot of those natural resources. So companies like Gazprom, like Luke Oil, um, they were able to basically buy up huge shares as communism fell in these huge natural resources. And that was from 91 to 2000. And when Putin took power, supposedly the, the narrative goes was that he wanted to regain the power of the presidency because the previous president was a joke, really. There's no other way to put it. So he started making it his goal to kind of wrestle that power back. And he basically strong armed a lot of them and took, you know, basically under the table shares, under the table, everything, you know, in exchange for not throwing them in prison. So it became just this war on power. So I would not be surprised. You know, there's rumors that he strong armed a few oligarchs into, hey, 50% of your net worth is now mine. If you want to stay out of jail and avoid problems, if you want to be able to stay in Russia. So I it's very possible. And the thing is, when all their wealth was in these natural resource companies in Russia, you know, as an oligarch, how can you get all that money out? Sure, you can get millions and some billions out. But if that company is your primary source of wealth, you aren't looting an oil company out of Russia, right? There's only so much you can do at that point, you're kind of at their mercy. So that's how the story goes, supposedly. Something similar happened with Jack Ma from China, 
where in 2015, I recall Jack Ma was pro- possibly the richest man in China. And nowadays, I mean, he's barely to even be heard from. And he's I heard it's because still, isn't he? He's what? He's missing still. Is he missing? Is that what happened? I thought he was. I might be wrong though. I saw this um, YouTube documentary on him where apparently China's government didn't like that Jack Ma was uh, so vocal because a lot of the billionaires over there are behind the scenes and <laughs> they work with the government where Jack Ma was very critical of the government. So they did a whole bunch of stuff to freeze his assets and slash his net worth. And I think the richest man in China nowadays sells water. And he's someone who is the exact opposite of Jack Ma, uh, soft-spoken, low-key, and collaborates with the government. But that's that was insane to me because it's Jack Ma. I mean, we even know him as uh, the Asian uh, Jeff Bezos. Like He has charm, charisma. Uh, mm-hmm. He was... He had this in-depth interview with Bill Clinton, and then a guy like him just disappears. So I'm like, what's going on? Yeah, he's only been seen in public twice since October 2020, is what Wikipedia says. I would highly, highly recommend reading this book. It's called Stealth War by this guy called General Spalding. And basically, China does not really have a real law on private property. So Chinese government could literally just come and say, okay, this company is going to transfer these assets here and you have no say in the matter. So it's when you say that this person has or is a billionaire, that's that only means that this person is a billionaire so far the government is permitting him to be a billionaire in China. If the government wants the money, they can just come and take it. So Chinese you know, laws and pri- private property are really just an eyewash, you could say. Mm-hmm. They're private property as long as the government wants them to be private property. And the culture in China is not like the culture in the US where people are pro-private property and they will defend their rights and go out and protest, etc. The culture in China is that the government said it, you got to do it. If the government knows what's best, mm-hmm. you got to follow the orders. Yeah, I mean, they're very complicit. They have been since the start of all this COVID stuff, too. Although, if you look at all this stuff in Shanghai now, it seems like maybe they're starting to wake up. But no, that's a very, I mean, I'm from a Chinese family, man. It's its very true. It's follow the orders. They know best. It's its, ugh, it's so irritating. Wait, you're from a Chinese family? Yeah. My grandfather was born in China, man, on my dad's side. Yeah, he came to the U.S. when he was seven. So, Wait, yeah. Kyle, this may sound like a completely newbie question, but... Ask him what about the are food. you? <laughs> what are you? I, because I still don't have, have no clue. I uh, thought this whole time you were Persian. No, I'm half uh, Chinese and half basically European. Um, and those roots are mostly in Italy on that side, the European side. So, did did you know that, Harsh? Yeah, I was. I knew that. I was telling him the worst of both worlds. <laughs> I love you too. Okay, Ask well, him about the food, Arman. You won't how's believe the food? it. How's the food, man? I mean, I hear, I see some spooky stuff. I mean, is it as spooky as it seems or do you guys have pretty good food? China? Is that what you're yeah. talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh, I never really ate that stuff, man. I was born in America. You know, my dad doesn't speak a, speak a lick of Chinese. So I, but, you know, I've been to some family gatherings like in the Bay Area where there's a lot of Asians and some of those stuff 
is, you know, weird. It's like, oh, here's your fish head or here's your fish eye. You know, there's there's some weird dishes, man. And I just look at those, you know, like, oh, no, I'll pass. I'm good on this. I don't need to have this fish head. <laughs> <laughs> what is the origin of the whole fish eye dish? Like, how, I, have no I, idea. I would like to know where this, why they started eating all of this stuff in the sense that why what what was a bright idea like why did they stop eating normal food and i say normal in quotes because it's normal for me but i don't see other like many cultures eating things like bats and cockroaches and things like that so why did the chinese start doing it i heard it was because of starvation and poverty but i'm I was not gonna sure. say desperation that's that would be my best guess desperation you know you don't mm. have enough meat. People start eating dogs and cats. You know, here's your chicken teriyaki. We don't know what sound it made before, but here's your chicken teriyaki. You know, woof woof. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, what is it like actually being half Chinese? Like, do you have different values from one side of the family? I would like to learn more about this. I think I'm going to disappoint you, man. It's really not that exciting. I mean, my father grew up in California. Um, so did his whole family. So they're Americanized for the most part. I don't feel like there was ever a, a conflict between the two sides. I mean, I would say the Asian side was a little more easygoing and a little more soft-spoken um, than the Italian side, which was very loud and very boisterous and very opinionated. But other than that, I mean, both sides were very much American. You know, my parents my dad was you know second generation immigrant you could say my mom would have been third or fourth so we were raised as american kids and i don't really identify i would say i identify more as a a, a european or a white person just because i don't really have that much like i never felt a strong pull towards the chinese side i never wanted to go to china or anything but i did want to go to europe so you know, I identify as a, a straight white male, I guess you could say. And for that reason, I'm vilified. I should have gone with oh, the no. other one. Arman, our channel is going to be canceled. All right. <laughs> it's time to uh, start a new YouTube channel and just post these episodes yeah. there. Oh, no. <laughs> so do you, speak a, do, you, do you speak any other languages? I speak some Russian. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I speak some Russian. Um, but I don't speak any Chinese. I don't speak any Italian. Um, I spoke Spanish for a while, but I don't anymore. So yeah, I'm kind of a prototypical American. I'm not a not skilled in languages, and I never learned the languages that my ancestors spoke, which is sad in some ways. Um, but no one else in my family does either. So you know, it's pretty prototypical, I'd say, of Americans these days. Every Chinese friend I've ever had, Harsh Kyle. There's mm-hmm. been something special about them where they're the, my first ever Chinese friend, his name was Tony. He wasn't too aware of his culture, but there was just something about him where he was not just smart. The guy was a genius where he would often correct the teachers. He'd tell the teachers why they were wrong with certain problems. And I think he grew up in China for a certain period. I, I don't know how the Chinese are taught education, but from my experience with any of my Chinese counterparts, they're able to process information quickly. It's like they're set up for academic success. Did you know, n- notice something like that uh, throughout your life, Kyle? Do you have Chinese friends? Uh, well, not to toot my own horn, but I mean, I was always just very gifted in school. You know, I was reading at like high school levels when I was seven years old. Um, I never had to study on anything. I just always was able to retain information and 
make very quick decisions and process information quickly. I don't know why that is, but I would say it was the case for my sister as well and my father as well. He's a brilliant engineer. Um, so I don't know what that is. It might just be genetics to an extent. I, I have no idea, to be honest, but certainly the schooling in China is, is quite rigorous from what I understand. You know, they, they actually have to learn math and critical thinking and not just gender studies. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> are, are there a lot of Chinese people in India, Harsh? I have never met a Chinese person. I met a couple of people who are Taiwanese. I don't know if they if they're both considered Chinese or not, but never met oh. an actual like from some from someone from like mainland China. So no, gotcha. not really. Although I've always found Chinese culture to be a bit interesting. Not not the modern one, but like the older one before the civil war. They had these three kingdoms and they were always fighting. It kind of reminds me of India. <laughs> Aren't there some you know, similarities in philosophy? Like how not, everything's connected, karma? Not particularly, no. No, not really. They're very different. But what I what I find interesting is that, you know, the thing with India, like what was the big reason for the downfall of India was that before the British, India wasn't really united as like a country. It was like a bunch of separate kingdoms and you know, people from different kingdoms kind of did not like each other and were like ally with the enemy, like ally with the British to take the other one down. I think a lot of that happened in China as well, like with Mongols invas- invading it. And so it's, it's, it's super interesting. I think the CCP so far has done not a bad job at standardizing the people in a way. And they're doing it very violently, and I don't agree with their methods, but whatever they're doing, it's working. Who's doing that? You said CCP? Yes, the CCP. They're kind of, they're forcing everyone to learn, you know, the common Chinese language, and they're trying to standardize the culture instead of having it be too diverse everywhere. I don't agree with how they're doing it. Like, they're doing it by essentially by force. But it is working, and I think it will pay dividends in the future. I think it already has at this point. I mean, they've become one of the three global superpowers for, you know, it's, like you said, what they're doing is working, even if it's a little bit violent, a little bit bloody. But you know what? They they do it, and they don't make apologies for it. So no, what, what are you going to do? What they're doing is really crazy, What they're doing is very crazy. If, if what what the accusations that are being made are to be believed. They're taking like Muslim people and then putting like an electric stick up their ass and basically giving them electric shocks. So <laughs> what they're doing is a bit way too crazy. It's crazy. But yeah. their goal appears to be to kind of wipe away all of the differences in culture and make everyone believe the same things. So it's in the future, it's easier to control this population. Like, you know, when you have a diverse population, you have to essentially keep things agreeable to all sides. But mm-hmm. if you have the same population everywhere, they all sing the same way, they speak the same language, it's much easier to manage the entire population. So I think mm-hmm. from a Chinese perspective where the government controls everything, it is going to pay dividends, but their methods are horrific. Yeah, there's no other way to put it. 
but they'll probably work is the crazy thing. Because, well, I think at this point, too, the way I look at it is, you know, so much industry has been outsourced to them, especially from the U.S., like the politicians that previously ran the U.S., you know, sent all of the production, everything over there. And now they're at the mercy of them. And now they've made them enough money that they can buy the current politicians. Like, you know, for all the criticism of Russia and what they've done in Ukraine, how come no one's ever criticized China? For what they do. You ever heard any US politician or Western politician criticize China's methods? No. Nope. Trump. Uh, Trump, yeah, the, the one. And look what, look, look what happened to him, right? So it's just, it's pretty clear. They, they own, I would not be surprised, a lot of US politicians in the back pocket. A lot of handouts being given. Do you know that they also own a lot of US media? I do, yeah. <laughs> they TikTok's control one of them, right? TikTok? It's it's Chinese, yes. Hmm. I think you meant the like legacy media, right? Harsh, like yeah, legacy media, media companies, channels. Yeah, so I would say what I'd be more. Is that if you are an American news company and you publish like a pro Chinese news, they'll pay you a lot of money just to advertise in your newspaper. But if you like make some anti-China, all the money will immediately dry up. So you are heavily incentivized to. <clears throat> not produce anti-China news and produce pro-China news. And also, like, if a newspaper is consistently producing pro-China news, they'll sponsor it or have special ads in it, etc. I really, really recommend reading Stealth War. It's a very good book. And I'm going to link it in the description box for any of you guys who are curious. And just to play off of that, Harsh, that's exactly been what's been going on with um, National Basketball Association, NBA, where... Uh, do you watch basketball, Kyle? Yeah. Well, I know what you're about to go about. Yeah. Right. Recently, they've been growing on, in China a lot, where if you're just somewhat okay in uh, the US, you're seen as a superstar in China. So NBA has been growing there. And there was this one a general manager, Daryl Morey, uh, from when he was working in Houston Rockets, who criticized China and a lot of their whatever was going on politically with them. And just like that, China stopped showing Rockets games at the time and NBA lost a whole bunch of money. And nowadays there's another Turkish player named Enes Kanter who has been just violently going at China and apparently they're not showing the Boston Celtics games. So NBA is losing a lot of money and they're like, yo man, you got you to chill out real quick, man. Quit attacking China. But it just shows what you're talking about, Harsh, where uh, Chinese and is such a big business partner for the NBA where uh, attacking them in their politics means something financially bad. Is that what you were going to talk about, Kyle? Yeah, more or less. You pretty much summed it up. Well, what we were talking about before is, okay, so China owns a lot of legacy media, but I'd be more worried about stuff like TikTok because Harsh was telling me one episode that TikTok is the number one search engine right now or is trended towards that. It's not the number one search engine. What I mean to say, it's the number one domain that's visited in the sense that you know how you type in a domain on the net, right? www.google.com or something or the other. The -hmm. world's most visited domain is TikTok, not Google, not Twitter, not Facebook. It's TikTok. That's big. Because imagine imagine if they just start a trend. And do do you guys use TikTok? No. Okay, well, I need a company to turn my tweets into TikTok videos. It started last week. 
So these guys take my tweets, they add some video background and they put it on TikTok. So for me it's like hands off growth for another platform but no I don't use it personally. Okay, well one of my clients who wants to uh, get better speaking on camera, uh, he started a TikTok. So that was one of the main reasons I downloaded the app. I was going through it. And number one, just to be completely unbiased, the app is very addicting. I could see why people stay so long on it. And number two is that it's so easy to start a trend because TikTok is consistently trying to get new creators pop in where with places like Twitter, Instagram, you need to have somewhat of a following before you start getting some love from the algorithm. TikTok's the opposite. It it shows love to people with just 2-3 followers. So, if let's say there is a negative intent where you're trying to turn people against each other, I could easily see a challenge being created where others just mindlessly pick it up because of its addicting feature. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, it's all programming. It, it really is. And it's powerful stuff. You know, it's, it's mass brainwashing on a global scale. And the thing is, people think they're doing it willingly, you know, just by doing their normal day-to-day stuff. And it works, that's for sure. Arman, did you know what you said is already being used in a negative way for the world where the Chinese government uses artificial intelligence. So I'll give you some context for this, okay? So you know how in the US, the government is separate from a company where the government can't just say, give us all of your data. Mm -hmm. China isn't like that. So for example, the Chinese version of Twitter, the government will regularly download all of the data and run all these algorithms on it to find out what trends are happening, what people are talking about. And they will consciously decide, okay, this is not a good thing. We don't want people to talk about it. So they will downgrade that and those things will stop showing up on the Chinese version of Twitter. And they can like increase the value of certain trend, etc. And they understand how these trends are created because you know they have access to so much data and they're kind of analyzing it specifically to learn those things. With TikTok, I can definitely say in the future, you know how leftists own Twitter and they use it to basically spread leftist propaganda everywhere? Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same thing, but for the Chinese government. Not surprising at all, man. It's uh, yeah, it's just it. It's it's all owned by the leftists in the U.S. And I mean, they they're also the ones that buy the government. So it's it's a little bit more honest, I guess you could say, than China. But it's I don't know what's worse, to be honest. It's almost better for it to be all out in the open and everyone knows the score versus this current one where we have so many people that are just absolutely brainwashed and think they're on the side of good. Like I'm sure most people in China, they they follow the rules, but I don't know. I, I'm not there. I don't know. Do they worship the CCP? Do they think they are God? Do they actually believe that, or do they just go along with it so they can survive? And well, I don't know how to how to tell that or not. From what I understand, a lot of people in China actually like the CCP because, like, you have to understand the historical context, okay? Because people like us, people from outside China. We look at China and we see, okay, these guys are doing all these horrific things. They're like torturing the people and, you know, they have no rights. But when you look at the Chinese person's perspective, I bet the Chinese person thinks something like, okay, so we were really poor, right? I had nothing to eat. And in 50 years, this government has gotten us so far. Yeah, and I may not have as many rights as the Westerner, but our system is working. I'm getting rich. Like, China isn't taught. When... 
when we say China is like committing human rights violations, it's doing it against the Uyghurs, the what what is it called, the Tibetans and whoever else. But the average person in China, like the a normal Han Chinese guy, he isn't like his life's being better. Raped. Yeah, his life is better. He's getting richer. He's making more money. The technology infrastructure is improving. So I don't really think the average person in China hates the Chinese government. That's the same thing with Russia, man. That's what I keep telling people. I'm like, okay, 20, 30 years ago when the Soviet Union fell, there were bread lines, hyperinflation, food shortages, everything. I'm like, they don't hate Putin because it's gotten a lot better since then. You know, sure, maybe in Siberia, their life isn't, you know, they still are poor. They don't have much, but you know what? They have, they have food. So they're not going to turn against him, which is why I think the whole, you know, arch and overthrow him is, is never going to work. Out of curiosity, though, where with U.S. politics, there's a certain amount of maximum sentences that you could serve, and then you're done. With presidents, it's two, uh, two terms, and you're done. Don't Russia have something like that? I mean, hasn't Putin been in power for, what, like 10 plus years? Isn't there uh, a certain time period? Yeah, I think he changed that law, if I'm not mistaken, just last year. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have term limits on, do we have term limits on senators, man? Because some of them are so freaking old. Like, how old is Pelosi? Well, she's House. But what's the term limits on House of Reps and senators? I don't even know, to be honest. That, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah you're probably okay. right about that. They should have uh, some semesters because... Thing is, are you updating your beliefs? I mean, the whole concept of a lifelong politician, I don't quite get that because, I mean, what have you built? If you're only talking all the time, debating in these floors, I mean, that's whatever, but you're never going to truly understand how businesses work, why it's not good to print money, how to create value if all you know is politics because politics, I mean... A few people are trying to move the needle. Most people, they're playing games. And that's a problem. Um, do you guys ever see yourself doing anything politically related, running for office? Maybe. I'm not against the concept. I think that maybe later in life, there is value in helping society from a more direct government standpoint. However, I think that a lot of value that has been generated for people, at least here in India, has not come from the government, but from private businesses. I do think that a lot of what you're talking about, the whole structure of, you know, a politician only being allowed certain terms, is these systems, and you know, the governmental structure as a whole, like the constitutions that we have in our countries, they were not designed for an, for an internet-enabled world. You know, They were not designed for mass communication. They were designed for a world where people could only communicate locally, which is why you have a local leader. Like You vote for the local leader who votes for you know, the prime minister and what have you. What's happening right now is that because of you know, the ability to communicate at scale using TV, internet, etc., Mm -hmm. The entire system has kind of broken down. No one really knows who the local leader is, right? When I vote, I don't know who I'm voting for. I'm just voting for the prime minister or the president. Like I'm voting for one guy. I'm not voting for the guy who is actually in charge of my district. I don't even know who that is. 
Well, that's the thing, though. That's actually the one place where your vote might actually matter on some level, too, is on smaller scale, right? And I think that's the same problem in the U.S. Like, no one knows who their city mayor is or who their local, you know, congressman is. You don't. And that's that's maybe the one place you could make somewhat of a difference or you could get involved and, and make an impact, but people don't do that. <clears throat> if engineers and entrepreneurs had the patience for it, I would say they have the most likelihood of getting things done because an engineer knows how to solve problems and entrepreneurs knows how to solve problems and monetize the problems that they solved. And if you think about it, that's a large part of politics, understanding how the economic game works, understanding how to talk to people. So if engineers and entrepreneurs down the line, once they're successful, they feel in their own, ever decided to do politics, I can see those two positions having the most impact. What do you guys the think? Problem, the problem with that though, man, is that we're, you know, like all of us, we're all entrepreneurs. We're not like fucking losers and parasites, like the majority of government people. Yes, there's some very crafty, very powerful politicians that really know what they're doing. But the vast majority of government workers, I mean, go to the local DMV. That's your average quality, man. You know, <laughs> all of us are, are above that. And there's really no other way to put it. The, the vast majority of people are just in it for the paycheck, the pension, and they don't have any actual dreams and desires. They're just going through life. You know, some of them are, like I said, really powerful and really know what they're doing. But the vast majority are just just leeches. There's no other way to put it. That is an issue where the brightest people, they're like, yeah, I mean, I could get into politics down the line, but why would I want to? I mean, I already have the successful business. I mean, I don't want to be stuck with a bunch of people just arguing all day. I want to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Harsh? I think that in the future, it's going to be like Armand said, where it's going to be more meritorious and more inclined towards engineers and entrepreneurs because it's all going to be crypto and web three. Like the reason why so many incompetent politicians are still around is is the fact that governments can't really go bankrupt because they can keep printing money. With crypto, that is going to change, right? Governments can go bankrupt. And at some point, all these idiots are going to drive governments to bankruptcy. And then they have to kind of, they're, they're basically going to be forced to secede power <clears throat> to, well, more competent people. And I do think that crypto and Web3 are going to play a huge role. They have, you know, fairer rules and you know what the rules are. It's not like the rules say that everyone is equal, but when you go out on the street, that's really not the case. <clears throat> or the rules say that you like we have free speech, but it's we do, you don't really have free speech. Okay. So Web3 and crypto are essentially at some point going to replace a lot of sections of the government. I do think that dumb people are going to end up unemployed and on, you know, universal basic calories or something. <laughs> oh, in the States now, man, the, everyone's trying to hire. I don't know what's happened, but basically everyone got all the free COVID money. And after that, they just didn't go back to work, even though that free money has ended. I don't know what they're doing, but every place is hiring. Every mall shop, every restaurant, every fast food place, every retail store, everyone has a for sale sign, or not for sale, um, a hiring sign out front. Yeah. How much same is in California? Offering? Could it be like a small salary? <clears throat> I would say like Starbucks now, just a local Starbucks to make coffee is probably offering 20 bucks an hour. That's very good. 
I, well, it's not much in the States anymore, though. It barely buys anything with the inflation that they say is 8% or whatever, but it's probably more like 25, 30. Um, it's not enough anymore to make 20 bucks an hour. You won't, yeah, you can't afford anything on that. And that's for California, Harsh. For Florida, I would say it's 15, maybe even less. Yeah, plus. Where, I mean, I don't know about you, Kyle, but did you notice that, I mean, fast food is no longer that fast anymore? Or is that just in Tampa? It's slow, dude. Yeah, it's definitely slow. Everything's just slower. The service is not good in a lot of places. It's, I don't know, they just have whoever they can get, basically. I think they're that desperate at this point. And I think kind of harsh to illustrate my point, um, you know, 20 bucks an hour, that's $3,200 a month. After taxes, maybe you get to take home 2500 of that. And to rent a room in California will cost you 800 bucks in a small town, probably 1200 in a city. So yeah, that 20 bucks an hour, it just, it doesn't go anywhere at this point. Damn, that's really low. Now that you put it in perspective, <clears throat> when I said yeah. it's good, I was comparing to India where 20 bucks yeah. an hour is really, really good. That's good there. Of course. Yeah. I mean, how much does a fast food meal cost now, Armand, would you say? I would say, you can't get out of McDonald's now, like for less than probably ten bucks, even. Right, like seven to ten bucks at least. I <laughs> yeah. mean, for a combo meal, and it's not only just fast food, Kyle Harsh. I mean, there was this fancy restaurant I went to. Um, I would say a couple of months back, and this isn't just like a cheap restaurant. I mean, a lot of the meals are fifty bucks to a hundred bucks. <clears throat> so, most people that go to restaurants like this are going more so for the experience rather than the food alone. And immediately, I could look by uh, the cashier's body language, at uh, the waiter's body language, that they're not happy to be there. I'm mm -hmm. basically in the restaurant for 45 minutes. A lot of the food is greasy, where you have to eat by your hands. And the guy comes up to me 45 minutes in and is like, oh, would you like water? I'm like, would I like water? I mean, duh, I want water. I mean, you should be offering me this in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And th these are just small changes, which may not be perceived by other people, but if you're someone who's involved in business, involved in customer support, you could see a tide that's shifting where people just aren't happy nowadays with uh, like the prices rising and their their income staying the same. And mm -hmm. it's they're acting out in different ways. Do you think it might be cultural in the sense that I remember coming across a lot of nurses from the US who were telling me that the culture has changed so much that people kind of want the whole glory thing. You know, they want to be popular, famous, and they don't want to serve anyone. So when COVID happened, my friends who were doctors in the U.S. would, they, would say that half the time these nurses are dancing for TikTok and they don't really take care of the patients so well. Like, for example, a lot of the nurses job is not like a clean job, right? It's like if the patient can't move as much, you have to like take him to the toilet, clean his ass, etc., and they won't do it properly or they won't do it, you know, wholeheartedly because they look at it as a job that's beneath them and they don't really see their job as serving people. They see their job as being this hotshot doctor who everybody a loves. Savior, a hero yeah. at the movie, yeah. I know it's someone who I so right. Because I was, I was, I had a relative that was in the hospital uh, a while back and I saw like that dynamics not only do a lot of the nurses have bad attitudes, they have bad attitudes for a reason because the structure in most hospitals in Florida 
and I'm pretty sure in your area too, Kyle, is that there's no central authority where I used to think it was the doctor that would tell the nurses what to do. But a lot of the nurses are often getting uh, connected to a patient from a different system. So they'll work back to back to back shifts while there's another nurse who's just chilling and not doing much. So number one, everything's disorganized that way. And number two, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of them that are like, nah, man, I don't want to serve. I don't want to take care of this guy because the patients are also irritated. They're like, when am I going to leave? So they're acting with attitude towards the nurses. So the nurses are giving attitude back. So it's like this parasitic structure that's in a lot of hospitals. I don't see why nurses complain. Yeah, they are. I mean, I don't get why nurses complain so much, though, to be honest. They get paid great. They work three days a week, usually. I mean, sure, some of it's nights and stuff. But I mean, to go to school for only four years, usually, and get paid those salaries and have that kind of you know, schedule. That's who knows, man. But I think Harsh nailed it. Everyone wants to be famous. I think with women, it's more so because they like status, you know, like a woman, a woman, for example, a college educated woman, she would reject a guy who makes more than her. If the guy is Mm -hmm. educated. So if a guy is a plumber, but he's making way more than this woman who is like a gender studies major, she would still consider this guy to be below him. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot of these women nowadays who are starting to become nurses and what have you are not doing so from a culture of, you know, they, they want to be caring, they want to save lives, to take care of patients. They see it as something that give, brings them high status. Like, I am this strong, independent, educated woman. I'm a doctor. Look how high status I am. And when they have to do things like, you know, wipe an ass, it's like, hey, what the hell is this? I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. I'm way better than someone who wipes asses. Fuck this guy. It's about me, not about the patient. Doctors aren't wiping butts, though. That's nurses. But still, I guess they have a similar mindset. So when I was at that hospital, I noticed that uh, there were some people that were super calm. So I would go to the hospital once a day uh, visiting this relative. And I recall there was this one period where I kept asking this one guy uh, for coffee. And he was super upbeat versus a lot of the other nurses who, if you ask for coffee, they'd probably be rolling their eyes at you. So I kept going to this gentleman, asking him for coffee for one week, for two weeks. And by the third week, I go there. Uh, one of the nurses come to me and she's like, hey, um, have you been asking that guy for coffee? I was like, yeah, I mean, he's been getting me the coffee. And she's like, don't you know who that is? I was like, who is that? She's like, that's an MD. That's an actual doctor. So I'm I basically <laughs> so basically for the past two weeks, I've been getting the head honcho, the doctor, to grab me coffee. And he's been doing it with this enthusiastic attitude. He's probably Sounds a good doctor like a good too. <laughs> yeah. It just shows you, man. I mean, just because normally when I'm thinking as an outsider, I'm like, oh man, he's a doctor. He has this power. He must be, you know, this hostile guy but normally a lot of these guys in the power are very calm did you guys know notice that i've actually noticed that go ahead sorry go ahead kyle no go ahead i've noticed that a lot of people who are actually in power tend to be far less of assholes or far less arrogant than people who have power through someone else you know there's a saying here in india where the vessel gets hotter 
like faster and more hot than the actual food inside the vessel. So the top guy is going to be much nicer than the guy who is working below him. That makes sense. That's usually how it is. That makes a lot of sense. That's why a lot of the CEOs are gentle, but the floor supervisor may be a jerk. Did you notice that when you were working in your corporate job, Kyle? Yeah, I would say actually, you know, the head of global support, he was cool. I mean, yeah, I would go mountain biking with him. He was just a chill guy. Um, But some of the people under him were just like little firecrackers, like almost tyrants the way they would run some things. So, yeah, the, the general manager was very cool and very chill. And then but he could, you know, turn it on if needed. If You know, you knew he was powerful, but outside of those moments when he needed to flex that he was very calm. But the yeah, the supervisors that didn't quite have his power really liked to flex the, that power on people. I think I'd say that's pretty normal, actually. Kyle, you were saying something when I interrupted you. Sorry, can you go ahead? I, I don't remember at all, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so how is life like back in the U.S.? Is it better, worse from what you remember before you moved to EU, Eastern Europe? Um, There's some things that I've... I'm a little older now, so maybe I appreciate it a little bit more, but it's nice like having the space, for example, like the gym here, you know, it's two stories. It's got just all this space. It's got three or four types of every machine. Whereas in Europe, it's like, you've got one machine for this that does one thing and everything's cramped. It's all small. There's just not enough space. So that, that openness is kind of nice. And certainly like the service is better. Um, if something's wrong, they'll fix it. They'll take it off the bill. If something is shipped to you and it's broken, they'll make sure they replace it. So there are certainly some perks. Things don't feel like quite the the battle as they sometimes were in Eastern Europe just to get something done or to get some good customer service. Um, and that said, you know, I was talking with Armand about this prior to starting the show. And, you know, I don't know when on potentially I can go back to Europe. And right now, after going through, you know, the story that I shared earlier is I don't want to have to go through that again. So I am actually going to take a a small little road trip next month and check out a few areas in the U.S. And I don't know where the world's going, but if it's going to keep getting worse, you know, somewhere more rural doesn't sound that bad to me. Um, You know, any European city, if this war breaks out anymore, is is going to be a, a target. So I don't want to be in any European capital city. So yeah, we'll see. Some things are nice and some things suck. Um, that's kind of the case of everywhere, I think. Could you see yourself moving to a place like Utah or Kansas? Well, I'm actually going to go look at Idaho and Montana and maybe South Dakota. So I don't know, man. It's I, Probably two months ago, I would have said, you're crazy. No, I'd never live in a place like that. But I think kind of going through something like I did kind of it changes your perspective a little bit now you know some land maybe you know a few guns doesn't sound quite so bad to me so yeah i'm gonna consider all options and um i know obviously there's some states in the u.s that have been very good politically since all the covid stuff started like florida like texas um you know and those are are high on the list as well but i do want to check out some of these more like mountainous west areas and see what they're like. And of course the issue, you know, Florida sounds great. Lots of sun, you know, nice and warm. DeSantis is cool. But what happens when he's out of office and the next pandemic comes like, you know, what's, what's going to happen then you have all these people from California going to live in Miami or Orlando or Tampa that are going to vote for the same crazy stuff they did in California or New York. Like what's going to happen then you, you just don't know. 
And that's the kind of the seems like the whole country is going that way, kind of downhill. And I think Harsh has alluded to this a lot. You know, he thinks that the Western world is going to keep going downhill and that India is going to have a huge opportunity to take its place. And I mean, if we keep going like this, I think he's right. Arman, what are your thoughts? Because you actually live there in Florida. Well, my thoughts is, I mean, it's like that with anywhere where you can't ever fully trust what kind of politician is going to get enlisted. So I factored that as one of the variables. But the other stuff I consider, too, is lifestyle. I mean, what are the people like? I mean, are they mostly crazy? Are they ambitious? What's the weather like? And that's a big thing for me where I used to live up north. It was fucking snowing, 16 degrees. I hated it. And I felt depressed while I was there. So for me, I mean, Florida even has the weather on the side. So weather, cost of living, uh, for the most part, people that I meet are ambitious. I like Florida. And I think in the upcoming future, uh, at least within the next four to seven years, more people are going to come to Florida. Real estate market is good. Uh, Entrepreneurship market is good. And more and more technology firms and jobs are starting here. So I, I, I'm very optimistic about Florida. But that's kind of the whole problem, right? Is what happens when you get all these other people from California that, that start coming there because it is better and they vote for the same stuff. And they you know, invade to a certain extent on the local culture. They bring their own values, their own beliefs that they then kind of shove on other people. And this is very much an American thing. Like I think a lot of countries in the world are very polite. Like, you know, you're a visitor in another country, you move somewhere, you try to fit in. I don't think that's the case with Americans. So that's kind of my point is what happens then when Florida starts going blue or starts voting for homeless people on the streets or starts saying, you know, like right now they're resisting, oh yeah, you can't talk to, you know, your seven-year-olds about sex at school, but what happens in 10 years when maybe that's changed? I mean, I don't have the answers to any of this either, but it's it's something to think about for sure. And you're right about that, Kyle, where you're speaking from experience because from 2018, it was the opposite. What Florida is now, California was where people mm-hmm. were leaving from Florida and from all other parts of the U.S. to go to California because it was seen as that a beacon like of success. Like, oh, if you can make it in California or New York, you can make it anywhere. And I mean, so many people came, so many people bought their own values and it was too far to the left and mm-hmm. it was too extreme. And that's what hurt California. So, I mean, I'm, I'm writing on the optimism that we have strong foundations here, Kyle, where we've mm-hmm. been, I wouldn't say red for a while, but we have been entrepreneurial where I'm hoping that part stays. Mm-hmm. But I can't predict the future either where I could see exactly what you're saying, where mm-hmm. in, in the future, like so many, so much variety is coming. And now we're pretty much turning into what California is right now, which I'm hoping against. Yeah, and that's that's when we have to factor in other parts too, like the weather, um, uh, house costs, uh, opportunities. I mean, I wouldn't say politics is the only thing to determine whether or not you want to live somewhere. It is a big part, but I mean, you got to factor in other parts too. Of course, yeah. Hey, Arman, how long until you guys elect a politician who promises to build a wall to keep the Californians out and make the Californians pay for it? <laughs> it may be with DeSantis, man. Well, DeSantis see, is our current one. 
that's what's crazy harsh is that you can still vote. Like I believe, you know, Montana is a state I looked at and I believe you can vote after being a resident of Montana for six months. Like someone from California, I'm pretty sure can vote in Florida within a year of moving there. That's what people need to be passing right now is if you move from California, you don't get to vote for a decade. That seems reasonable at this point, maybe more, maybe ever. (laughs) Like that's, that's the problem, man. You know, and I, but the wall is a good idea. I wish they would do that, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. One of the things that scare people a lot about Florida is the hurricanes. Which mm-hmm. do you guys have any natural disasters that happen in California? I heard earthquakes are common. Earthquakes, right? but that's mostly Bay Area and LA, which would be great if those places got hit and fell into the ocean, never to be heard from again. But that's wishful thinking. Um, Have you ever been than, in an earthquake? No, I've never. There hasn't been a major one for quite a long time. Um, no, I've never been in one or felt one or anything like that. You, Harsh? No comments. I'll get doxxed. Basically, like... Okay. I, the whole concept of an earthquake seems terrifying to me. It depends yep. on how powerful the earthquake is. Right. I mean, I, I literally know nothing about it. Uh, just the descriptions <clears throat> that I hear. I mean, it seems like the the floor from underneath you is shaking. What if you're on a second story build, building? You run fast. <laughs> you no, you don't, run, you don't run. From what do I'm saying, what do you do? The best you can do is like hide, on, uh, hide under a, a desk doorwell. or something. Yeah. And hope for it to pass so stuff doesn't fall over you. Or a door frame. That's the one they say to stand in the in the door frame. What's you know a door the frame? one though? Like where the door opens. Oh, okay, okay. I see. Yeah. yeah. You know the one though, Armand, that freaks me out more than earthquakes is a tornado, man. Like I never want to see a tornado coming towards me. That's the one I'm like, no, no, no tornadoes, no Kansas, no Oklahoma. I'm not going there. <laughs> see, with tornadoes, I, I feel like I could outdrive it. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Where Have with an earthquake, you're just stuck. Of tsunamis. Wait, say again, Harsh? Have you guys seen a video of a tsunami? Oh, yeah. All the ones like in Japan. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. are crazy. Those Go are ahead, terrifying, man. too. Well, <clears throat> Kyle, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Harsh has a lot of specific knowledge in different fields. And there was this one episode, Harsh, where we were talking about what you would do if you were ever caught in a fire. Do you guys ever have uh, forest fires around you guys? I heard it's yes. a common thing in California and Tennessee. Very common. And actually, when I was 17 years old, uh, my house burned down. Uh, barbecue malfunctioned. What? And uh, yeah, the house burned down. Uh, my mom lit it and it caught, the whole house caught on fire. Basically, the tank exploded. Um, she was fine, obviously. But yeah, I was actually home and I basically grabbed the dog and then watched my my home burn down when i was 17 so you saw it <laughs> oh yeah i was outside in front of my house watching it yeah that was quite the experience do you keep a fire extinguisher in your house man. oh dude it wouldn't have we did have one it wouldn't have stopped it though it was so fast so sudden it was way too late and it was hot it was summer you know there was dead stuff everywhere dead grass dead plants um yeah, there was just nothing that could be done to stop it. Like by the time I got down there, um, the fire extinguisher, there was no way. It had already engulfed like an entire window and door. So, yeah, there was no way. So, How old were you? Some, 17. 
Wow. Yeah. So I've had some bad luck in my life, man. <laughs> bad. Now the whole Ukraine thing, man. <laughs> You've done it really well. Like you're really intelligent, and you you haven't fallen for the whole propaganda thing. So, you know, I think there's a silver lining. Yeah. No. Life. Life is good. Life can't be so bad. There's no point in dwelling on it. So, nothing you can do. I think there's always going to be a few points in most people's lives too where you have to almost not you know start over in some ways or you get really really just knocked down and that's that's just part of life you know and to have gone through that one at at 17 like it's definitely given some perspective to this current situation like that you know it's happened before you know it'll be fine things work out so that's all you can do is just kind of keep that optimistic sense i hope you guys had insurance though yeah, that was like the one bright side is my parents basically got a whole brand new house, which they then built to their, you know, dream standards. And it's it's extremely nice. So it's it's hard to complain too much at the end of it. Obviously, you know, you don't wish going through it again, but there was some silver lining once everything, once we moved back in and it was all complete, you know, it was definitely like, oh, this is quite nice now. Did you guys stay with family for the break? No, the insurance company put us in a rental like a mile or so away and they paid for it all. So, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the nice thing is it was all pretty much covered. And like I said, they ended up getting a a brand new house basically. So there was some silver lining to that, but um, back to where this all started though. I mean, have you been in a hurricane in Florida, Armand? I have. You have. Okay. What's that like? 2004, I was in a hurricane and it was bad, man. I mean, it got... Uh, it was flooded all around the place. We didn't have electricity, no TV, uh, no phones. It was hot. And we felt the gusts of wind. And we kept thinking that the house was going to blow away or the windows were going to shatter. Mm-hmm. And just you uh, and your family in pure darkness, <clears throat> just hearing like the storms and you're hoping that nothing happens. And it's a pretty scary experience. Mm-hmm. And then, this goes on for some time and there's no electricity for a couple of days for some people, a couple of weeks. And you just don't know you're completely disconnected. It just shows you how important information technology is where at least you're staying updated. Um, and after yeah, in 2004, after, you wouldn't have Twitter to get the news or anything. You right. were lying on the TV. Yeah. And I know this how may long sound does a hurricane last. It lasts. I mean, for like one to four days, depending oh, on how okay. big the hurricane is. Uh, that's why nowadays, I mean, if you go up to Floridian and you're like, uh, did you hear a category three hurricane is headed your way? The general Floridian is going to be like, and uh, who gives a damn? We've seen, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've seen category, <laughs> right? Like unless it's a category four or five, most Floridians don't take it serious. I know a lot of Floridians that don't even put their shutters on unless it's a category four which is not recommended, by the way. Uh, Category 3 is somewhat harmful in itself. That just shows you. I mean, it's like we've been through worse and we've seen it. So we're, we're, it's it's not pleasant. Let's just put it like that. Well, to add on to that harsh, what happens, you know, the hurricane might only last one to four days, but the problem can be the flooding, which could be weeks. And so it's supplies is can be the issue too that, you know, basically you got to survive the initial onslaught, but then after that, it's also kind of a matter of survival with the flooding and other shortages and all sorts of issues. The collateral damage. That's the, that's the more psychological part where Mm -hmm. the afterwards were like, when are they finally going to bring electricity back in my spot? 
And when you finally, uh, for one of the hurricanes, we didn't have electricity for a week or two. So finally, one day we're just chilling. Uh, my family and I were playing Ludo and I could hear <laughs> like the AC turn on and I feel coolness. And I, immediately me and my brother look at each other and we're like, what the hell is the AC on? And then <clears throat> clearly us being little kids, we reach for the remote control. We click power and the TV turns on. And I'm like to my parents, hey, uh, the electricity is back, right? And it makes you appreciate the small stuff like um, AC. Mm-hmm. What about you, Arman, Harsh? Any, I've seen, any... you know, some videos of people who survived hurricanes. And usually, like, the guy in the video has his house blown away. I've been meaning to ask you, why do Americans make wood houses? Like, why don't they use brick and stone? They did. <laughs> where nowadays, it's if you're in Florida and you have a wooden house, you better get insured on that. Otherwise, you better get stucco or cement. That and that's a great question, Harsh. That's that's not smart. I don't know why people did that. I know it's way cheaper. Are new houses not built in wood in Florida now? They use wood as like the encasing, but the core of it is either is brick, right? Brick. Okay. But why using wood? Like, was it just to save money, or were they expecting a hurricane to blow it away anyway, so it's cheaper? Probably that. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. It's like New Orleans gets hit by a hurricane like every other year. It's, I don't know. To a certain extent, it's like, okay, why do we keep rebuilding? Why don't we just relocate the city on to some extent instead of just paying to rebuild it every year? But it is what it is. I Especially if you look by the beach. To the land. Sorry, go ahead, Darman. The thing is Especially- that three of us, it's like when someone stops speaking, the two people start speaking at once. I think we should use the hand system to kind of communicate. <laughs> well, it's the it's the people that live in the by the beaches that are that have to be extra careful because in a hurricane, I mean, their houses are the most prone to damage. So if you live by the beach and your house is wooden, you're just setting yourself up for travesty. And for Florida, if you're in real estate, you better like factor in hurricanes as well. Mm-hmm. What about you, Harsh? Have you ever been in any form of natural disaster? Not really, man. Not yet. Okay, that, that that's good. That's good. That's good. At least not you're that I can o- remember. You're the only one uh, yeah, in this was... recording right now who hasn't, so we'll be keeping an eye Actually, on Actually, I was in two natural disasters, but the thing is that if I mention them here, it would be really, really easy to pinpoint where exactly I live. Yeah, no, let's stay away from that. Um, out of curiosity, Kyle, when you um, when your house burned down, was there any point where you thought, like, what if I was in that house? Or were you very far away from the house when it burned down and you just came and I saw was it burning? In it, no, I was in it when it started. Um, but my mom yelled up to me. She was like, Kyle, like, the house is on fire. And I was in my room playing guitar, I think. And I'm like, what is this woman, like, talking about? Like, <laughs> everything's fine. And then I came downstairs, was like, Oh, and I remember she was like trying to put it out. I think, you know, she was in shock and she was trying to put it out, but it was a very apparent to me. It was already way too far gone for us to put it out with an extinguisher. Um, so I just grabbed the dog and basically dragged her and him out. And yeah, I just stood in front and watched it. Um, and, you know, that's the same thing that I was talking about earlier is that that human element of how bad people can be during a crisis. 
So the fire trucks were slow and people saw the smoke and people started driving up the street to like watch and the fire trucks couldn't get through. And that was like a reason why it was as bad as it was because they could not get through. People were blocking it. And I remember I was going up and down the street, like yelling and cursing at moms. Like <laughs> there was like moms with like six year olds, seven year olds in their car, like just leaving from school, like watching. And I remember just like, get the fuck out of the way. And of course the moms are like, oh, don't swear in front of my kids. And <laughs> that's like, what they're worried about. Yeah, of course. And I think it was like 13 minutes till the fire trucks came. And it was just too late at that point. So yeah, no, I was there. I watched it. And did anything happen to the neighboring houses? No, no one else got affected. They got here in time before it got worse. So yeah, thankfully that it stayed to just us. And but yeah, it was pretty surreal. I think a lot of a lot of shock too. You know, I was I was there obviously, and you know, but I called my father. I remember, and like he couldn't just understand. I was like, Dad, you need to come home. Like the house, there was a fire. The house is gone, and he was just like no no and so people yeah you just never know how people are going to react in in moments like that i mean that's that's unusual where i've never heard about it i've heard about the threat of it occurring and that's when me and harsh were talking about it in that one episode where he was telling me how to survive a fire i was thinking <laughs> would i ever need this information and i mean we're seeing it right now that that yeah. information is good yeah hey no, Kyle. Uh, yeah go ahead do you think in the future, you know, with cryptocurrencies, it's actually really, really important to keep your cryptos C generation phrase in multiple locations just in case of a fire? Because if you lose, if your house burns down and you lose your private key with it, you're fucked. Not only, not only do you lose your house, but you lose all your money. That's the thing about being your own bank, right? And I know they make ones that are fireproof. And they have um, those capsules. Like yeah, they have they have options out there. So, you know, that's I, I would agree with you though, man. You got to have that in a few places, or better yet, have it in your head. I don't think you can have it in your head in the sense that if you have it in your head, and let's say that somehow or the other you got intoxicated, and then you just say your password out loud without like realizing it, it's not safe to remember it. I don't think so. I I agree too, and that's the other, you know. There's there's all other things too that could be bad if you memorize it, but it is, it's one way, right? There's always options. That's the great thing about crypto is there's always at least options with that. Have you heard of any people's cryptos getting hacked? Yeah, but that was kind of their own fault in some way or the other. For example, there was a guy who kind of didn't verify what smart contract he was signing. I think he was, he had a bunch of tokens on Nexus Mutual, or he was the founder of Nexus Mutual. I don't remember exactly, but they kind of sent him like a fake website, which resembles an actual website, like a phishing attack. And they, he signed a smart contract without realizing that the smart contract actually did something different from what it said it did. Like he didn't verify the code. And what happens then? I mean, can you get just, a lawyer and lawyer no, up? You can't. There's no. nothing you can do. You're just fucked. You're just fucked. What's your guys' takes on NFTs? You guys see this being long lasting? Yes. I, I think 99% of NFTs are worth nothing. But the concept of NFTs is very useful. It's going to 
it is going to be very very prominent in the future for example your house your house will not be a bunch of papers that you've signed your house will be an nft on the blockchain and then you can just transfer it directly without having to go here and there get government approval etc so a lot of things that are represented as paperwork assets will in the future be just nfts so Which a copyright awesome. to make would be an nft etc go ahead kyle sorry no, I said that's it would just be awesome if people if it would work like that. I've always I've been saying for years now what we need instead of having an income tax is you need to say that as citizens you have to allocate a certain amount of your paycheck, say 15% to taxes, but you get to pick on smart contracts where that goes. You think your neighborhood needs better roads, you can allocate all 15% of your taxes to roads. And if you think it's schools, then you allocate it to schools or you split it up. And that would be the best way to get people what they want right instead of giving it blindly to the government and they do projects it goes straight to the fund that the people themselves literally from hand to wallet voted for i don't think that would work so well Carl. i'll tell you why oh we're a long ways from that a long ways no even if we were not a long ways from that it won't work because there are there are a lot of expenses that a country needs which people don't know about or don't understand the importance of. I'll give you an example here. I agree. Here. Like, you know, the Indian government pays a lot of bandits to like not rob trains on the way. So there are sometimes a train, important trains will pass through jungles. And in the jungles, you know, you have these tribal bandits, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would normally like, they'll stop your car, kill the people, take your stuff and, you know, you're screwed. So what the police and the government would do is they'll pay these guys off, okay? Don't do anything. We'll just give you some money. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of expenses that kind of go into running a system stably, which people don't understand. So but I do then think why that... Not, why not then just hire people to, to remove them and put them in prison if it's such because a problem? it's a jungle. You can't do that. Like Think of it like this. It's, it's like a deep jungle. Anyone yeah. who's sent in the jungle ends up dead. If the tax is 15%, so the government could say, okay, so 7.5%, we'll decide. 7.5%, you decide where you want the money to go. Yeah. And that works too. And you know what? Also with smart contracts, the government would then have to show where that 7.5% went, which is fine. And I'm totally good with a system like that too. Split it up half and half, and then there's transparency on all of it. Instead of now where we pay taxes and we have no idea where it goes. Actually, governments still produce these returns where they show you where it goes. The issue that happens is that a lot of the money that's spent never actually reaches the stuff it's supposed to be spent on. Mm-hmm. For example, here in India, if a government pays for a road, the contractor will take 100% of the money, pay like 40% to the politician. Then instead of constructing a good road, he'll construct a very shoddy road that's going to kind of be destroyed by in a year. Mm-hmm. And he'll pocket everything else. And the next year, because the road is going to be destroyed, he'll get the same job again because he's paying, paying the politician. So it's like a racket. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the discussion we were having earlier on corruption, and I was telling you why corruption is a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. because of stuff like this. I actually like, have that tweet pulled up. You you mind if I read it real quick just so people know yeah. what you're talking about? Okay, so Kyle initially wrote a tweet, which was places in the world that are seen as corrupt that are actually less corrupt because the playing field is even when everybody is able to be corrupt example pay small bribe to fix a problem the playing field is much more even 
society actually functions better. So that was Kyle's tweet, and LifeMath Money responded with, um, "This isn't true. What this leads to is that people get used to the breaking the law and getting off, and you have to pay for things you shouldn't need to pay for. Want to file a complaint? Bribe? Want to get your agreement registered? Bribe? It's a huge drag on society." So. What do you guys think? You guys dis- disagreed with that. I would say, well, so I don't know what it's like to live in India. I don't know exactly how everything works, but you know, look at the IRS and the way that we have to pay taxes and the way that they strong arm you. You have to pay if you get one thing wrong on your returns, we can come seven years later and get you and charge you interest for those seven years, and that's judge, jury, and executioner. Whereas in Ukraine, you know, you can it's just, it's not like that, right? Like everybody kind of cheats on the taxes. No one, you know, everyone pays a little stuff to get off if needed. It's, it's a fine line. I mean, I understand Harsh's point. I really do. Um, but I'm not sure that the, the government mafia, you know, big federal government style is, is any better. I think that's even worse on many levels. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear what Harsh thinks. I agree with you there on that particular point. What I'm saying is that a lot of the systems that don't work so well don't work so well because there are incentives against fixing them. And I'll give you one. For example, if you have a city, okay, and in this city, there's a limit on how much construction you can do. Now, the city can support more construction, but the reason they're not letting you know more construction take place and build more houses is simply because they want bribes. If there was... If they just allowed anyone to build a bigger building, then a builder would not have to come to the politician, pay the politician to illegally build the building or allow the building being built without, you know, stopping it. And which is why a lot of these bad laws kind of stick around. I think a lot of the whole COVID thing was also the same thing where I, I, I don't really know for sure, but we can speculate why a lot of the things that were being pushed as safe and effective were being pushed as safe and effective. But what I mean to say is that a lot of the stupid laws that exist exist because of corruption, including the corruption that comes from smaller places, smaller people. And it kind of ends up as a net negative on society, even though it does make things convenient every once in a while. Like, so you mean a pharma company that pays a bribe to a government to basically make people get something right in the case of COVID. That's what you mean. That is one example. Although a pharma company is like a big organization. So a little difficult, like a little off what you mentioned, what I mean to say is let, let, let me give you a different, more relevant example. Okay. okay let's yeah, say that file, you file something. Like let's, let's say you bought a house. Okay. And to get your house transferred from the previous owner, you need like a stamp <clears throat> from the government, right? Mm-hmm. And the normal system should be that if everything is order is in order, you shouldn't have to pay a bribe, correct? Correct, of course. Now, if everything is in order, you still have to pay like $10,000 or something to have your house transferred. Would that be fair? Of course not. But that is what happens in a corrupt That's system. That's what happens, yeah. Because the guy knows that if you don't pay him, he can like just delay your work for like three months, one year, two year, and not actually transfer the house. So... He's going to ask for money and you're going to have to pay it because if you don't, there's nothing you can do. You can legally just, you know, delay your approval forever or, you know, come I up with some of the other deficiencies that, that's not really there. And then you have to like fight a court case or what have you. So it just becomes like, okay, pay me or fuck you. 
I think that's the case, though, where in a country like that. So like in the U.S., that's probably not going to happen. But again, in that case, to have those services where everything works smoothly, then you have to deal with something like the IRS that, oh, let's say you sold the house and let's say you you got a, a number wrong. You reported that you sold, you made a profit of 100000 instead of a profit of 86. And it was a mistake. Your accountant made, a, made an oopsie, right? Well, seven years later, they find it on your next return and they come at you and say, oh, you owe us $14,000 plus 5% interest for the last seven years. So you pay it one way or another, right? At least with the smaller, more corrupt countries, you know exactly what the score is and you know exactly what you have to do and you factor it into the cost versus having for, a shadowy government that just for makes things the like rules. This, you are right. What I mean to say is a little different though. L- let me give you a different example, okay? So yeah. there's more to costs than just taxes in the sense, for example, the road you're driving on was built using taxes. The government hospital was built using taxes, mm-hmm. etc. So for example, let's say the road you're driving on is supposed to last 10 years. The quality of the road should be that good. And what ends up happening is that the road lasts only one year because mm-hmm. the contractor bribes the government officials, he builds a shoddy, he builds a shoddy road, and every year the road is being rebuilt. Now, where is that money coming from, Kyle? Like money is coming from whatever taxes you paid, right? From the taxpayer. Yep. Well, you're yeah, right. So you end up paying 10x more because of this whole corruption system. Like you're repairing that, like you're remaking the road 10 times instead of only one time. And you're like not only are you paying 10 times more. Your life experience is much crappier because your road sucks. Like your car is bumpy all the time, etc., mm-hmm. and your car is being damaged. So I think the cost of corruption is much, 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 much higher than whatever quick benefits you might get out of it. Also, I think, for example, if you take a road fine, okay, let's say someone's driving rashly, they have to pay a big fine in the U.S. In India, you can just pay the police and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Don't you think there are a lot of consequences that come from this, in the sense that? Like there's a reason why roads in India are full of traffic and everyone drives like crazy. It's because they get away with it. I would argue that, well, it's almost as bad. Well, not as bad as India now, obviously, but it's getting worse progressively here because they don't have the police staff to enforce that at all. So I think part of that too, though, is layout, right? So India has been built for many you know, hundreds of years and the U.S. is very new. So everything was built for cars in the U.S., whereas it was not in India. So that's that's kind of the part of the difference, too, with the traffic stuff. True. Um, you know, it, the real question is, where does the corruption start? Is small-time corruption, like paying a bribe to transfer that house, as a result of upper corruption, as a result of not being able to get things done? Or does it start on the bottom and then it goes to the top? And I would argue that in most cases, small corruption exists because of upper level government incompetence and or corruption. Agree? Disagree? Or is it the opposite? I I don't disagree. I think a lot of it is cultural in the sense that, you know, like I can tell you maybe 10 years ago in India, corruption used to be much, much blatant in the sense that you could have illegal money, right? And you could count it in front of people. And Mm -hmm. no one would object. Like it was just a thing. And nowadays, because of the new president, Prime Minister Modi, who has done a lot of good work in kind of changing people's sentiment and culture, all the people who earn illegal money 
really have to hide it like they can't openly flaunt it like they used to mm-hmm. so like for people like us okay like people like me who make all of the money from the internet like i have to pay my taxes fairly right i can't like run away because everything is going through the banking system but earlier people who were in more cash oriented business let's say you're in a restaurant or something you were taking taxes from people like you were adding a vat like a government tax to the orders but you were not paying the government and you were essentially flaunting that like you you could just be like hey screw you this is my business i do what i want i pay the government mm-hmm. official why do you care and now you can't do that so i think a lot of it is cultural where yeah earlier like it used to be much more acceptable to bribe and to get bribed and to have illegal money and mm-hmm. now it's no longer as acceptable it's something people have to hide or like not tell others <clears throat> so sense. i think that's where culture this corruption thing comes from what's the culture of the country that you're living in is this a system is this how people normally get things done mm-hmm. is there precedent for this and that what i would say with that you know my experience is mostly going to be in ukraine and i would say they it's a very high trust society like you can leave your phone and your wallet in your locker at the gym like with the door open and it'll never be taken right so that is if you trust most of your other citizens and all the citizens believe the government is corrupt then i would i guess that smaller corruption makes a little more sense and works a little bit better but yeah i think we we agree on a lot of the points here obviously corruption in a perfect world would just not exist but we are not snowflakes and we know that that the world doesn't work like that so it's just a matter of finding that right balance but you're right it is going to be very different from culture to culture and how people feel about one their fellow citizens and two the government interesting can you tell me more about what you mean by a high trust society and corruption i don't get the point i'm just trying to understand i would say that like everyone in ukraine believes that the government is corrupt and steals from them so they are happy to pull one over on people so to or not on people on the government so to speak like no one would you know ever f- be tattling on another citizen for having a cash based business for example no one would care if you pulled one over and didn't pay your taxes on the government um many people still receive their salaries in straight cash from companies you know they get paid a minimum salary that they pay the taxes on so let's say the minimum salary is like 100 bucks and someone's actually getting paid 500 bucks a month they'll get paid 100 bucks to the bank and they'll pay their taxes on that and then the owner would hand them 400 bucks in cash the rest of it so that is ah, totally normal totally acceptable and in that case you know the owner trusts the employee not to rat them out and the employee trusts the owner not to rat them out and that's considered to be totally normal and okay you know morally i no longer disagree with this in the sense that with with covid it was like um you pay like i pay taxes you pay taxes and our taxes were essentially being used to kind of imprison us in our houses mm-hmm. and force all these experimental things on us and mm-hmm. at that point i was like wait i'm funding this bullshit mhm yep it's like it's like being a slave Yeah, it is. It's it's like a Stockholm syndrome yeah, too. Like you have to give money still. If you had asked me five years ago, Kyle, I would have told you that the people who don't pay their taxes fairly are evil and are a drag on society. And now I no longer have this opinion simply because I just don't like the government anymore. Like I don't mean the politician, an individual politician. I mean I just don't like the whole system where this entity has so much power mm-hmm. that it can just basically decide what goes into people's bodies. Yep, they're judge, jury and executioner, man. That's the crazy thing. It's just 
yeah, they have way too much power. And, you know, like, for example, you we didn't vote for this, right? We didn't vote to be locked in our this. homes. We didn't vote for the experimental stuff. We didn't vote for any of it. So you're taking our money and printing more money and devaluing our money all while saying you're the good guys? No, it's, yeah. But people fall for it. Hook, line, sinker, and they keep falling for it. Yeah, it was all like, you know, the guys who are making the laws on COVID, okay, like the experts, people don't know the names of the experts. These are unelected people making laws for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like no like one elected India, Fauci, for example. Yeah, no one elected these guys and they're like making laws for everyone else that people don't like. So mm-hmm. like, if you had gone out on the street and asked, would you mm-hmm. rather like stay locked down for one more year or just get COVID? Most people would say, I'd rather get COVID. And mm-hmm. if that's what people if that's what people want, then that they, that's what they should get, right? But yeah, no, exactly. not according to this guy. He makes a lot well, of yeah, exactly. So did I do we get to stop paying tax? We disagree. We don't like the lockdowns, we don't like the mandates, we don't like any of that. We would like to, you know, remove our money from that system encouraging that. Do we get a choice? No. <laughs> of course not. So Isn't it funny, yeah. Kyle, how all roads lead to Bitcoin? It is funny. It's convenient too. Let's hope it keeps going that way, man. That's all we can hope for. <laughs> well, that's Our one thing. I, yeah, yeah. Apologies. Uh, they're cleaning my windows right now. Right when we're of, uh, filming the Unapologetic Truth podcast, so I had to. Arman, stay I'll be back break. in one minute, so you guys continue, okay? Okay. Well, what you guys were just saying was a compelling uh, discussion, and you guys finished it up with all ro- roads are pointing towards Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I see is, I believe all roads are also pointing towards adding a side hustle where more and more people, they're not becoming full-blown entrepreneurs, Kyle, but I have noticed that tons of individuals who didn't have an entrepreneurial spirit before nowadays are getting more curious. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that where they're building a side hustle of their own? I think it's almost becoming just necessary, right? Like people are being forced to find other ways of income because the their income has been devalued and the cost of living has gone up and they just can't keep ahead. So yeah, I think definitely the the internet generation too, I think part of it is a lot of people want to be influencers. A lot of people want to you know, be famous and yeah, they see everybody on Instagram or Twitter or whatever making money and they want some of that same deal. So yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be looking for that and we'll see. But I, I agree with you. It's, it's almost necessary now. Yeah, and so many industries are changing. Uh, in our last episode, Kyle, um, I was talking to uh, Harsh about how the engineering industry is changing. Mm-hmm. Where you used to be an engineer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of engineer? Mechanical, uh, well, electrical, data, data science, or data storage, IT stuff. Not, not. Okay. It would be even hard to say an engineer, like from a traditional sense of designing stuff and creating stuff. More, yeah, IT engineer, you could say. Right. That, that was similar to mine. Okay. Uh, would you say there was a big difference in the younger generation versus the older generation and how quickly they were willing to adjust? Yeah, I would definitely say that was the case was the older, more senior engineers were definitely more stuck in their ways versus the younger ones who were probably a little more creative thinking. But I don't know if that's necessarily a, a generational thing or just a simple old versus young kind of deal you know people get stuck in their habits as they get older and that's not atypical i would say Mm -hmm. and my time during like one of these companies i saw tons of people who were like yo man like i'm gonna be in this job forever i'm gonna retire in this job Mm -hmm. they get fired out of the blue moon because 
things in the technical industry changes so quick. So I'm thinking like, yo, is this going to be a new renaissance where more and more people are, I want to say getting fully self-employed, Kyle, mm-hmm. but at least adding onto that just so they have more leverage where, I mean, if you weren't getting a shot in some places around the U.S., you're going to be fired. And if you don't have an extra source of income, what are you going to do? Yeah. No, you're, you're dead on, man. People are realizing, I think definitely the younger generation is realizing that the American dream as our parents had does not really exist for us. Like how many people our age can afford to buy a home these days? It's it's not very many, to be honest. So I think people are waking up that the typical American dream that they were sold is not as it was in addition to that that also means that going into a career and staying with a company forever company's loyal to you you're loyal to the company people are also realizing that's not the case anymore and part of that is because things you know more and more small companies have been swallowed up by big companies and they become just kind of soulless corporations with hr departments with all this you know paperwork and all this just everything so yeah, the quality of life overall has has gone down. So yeah, I think you're right, Armand. People are going to be turning towards finding alternative streams of income simply to survive and also just to have a better life. Mm-hmm. Carl, do you see people like every time I talk to someone you know from the West, they typically kind of express to me how they don't intend on getting married or having children at least mm-hmm. because kids are expensive. So do you see a lot of people basically? ending their genes just to save money. Yeah, I think the myth in the states and is that basically you have to kind of keep up with the jones, right? So your baby's got to have these certain clothes and these certain items and as far as I'm concerned, why don't, you know, if you don't have money for children, I don't think that's an excuse. You can find almost everything for free at places if if it comes to it. You know, maybe not diapers, but you know, the food is obviously free for the first year or so. Um, all the cribs, all the equipment, clothes, like you can get all that at very good prices secondhand. Like I certainly don't see the need to put my upcoming child in designer clothes. That's, I think that's absolutely stupid. So yeah, I, I think people greatly have it wrong in the West. I'll put it that way. I don't know if this is a personal question, Kyle, but do you see your child going to public school with the way things are going? Or is it going not to be in California? Yeah, no, it, definitely not in California. Um, maybe if we decided to resettle somewhere a little bit more conservative, I would consider it. Um, but yeah, I don't think I could imagine public school in California. I also don't think private school, I went to private school for a couple of years. I don't think it's going to be any better in a lot of cases. So yeah, I would, I will strongly be considering that option um, moving forward. I probably in Europe, I would have felt fine with them going to public school, at least in Ukraine. But now, I don't know, to be honest. One common thing I hear is, oh, well, if a person is um, homeschooled, then they grow up weird. Nowadays, I see a tons of kids that are homeschooled, and they seem more mature <laughs> for their age. And did you guys notice that? I think I they're think- more used to interacting with adults, so they are... It's for mm-hmm. for normal kids who go to like regular school. They're not used to talking to adults, asking them like serious questions, etc. Versus the ones who are homeschooled, they've been interacting with adults in a more professional way all their lives, basically. 
because one of the cases against homeschooling guys is, oh, well, they're not going to get a social life. But personally for me, I mean, growing up, I didn't really chill with people from school after school that much. I would get a lot of my social activities from doing karate after school, uh, playing playing hide and seek with uncles and aunties' kids. Were you guys like that, or were you guys getting most of your social life from school? I don't think I got any from school, to be honest. Most of my friends were just like people who were on the same street as me or from sports. Yeah, I don't think I really hung out with people from school, outside of school that often, honestly. I and pretty much didn't have a social life in school. So no. <laughs> <laughs> I would say too, you know, back to what you were saying about whether they're, you know, less adjusted or if they're weird. I think that stigma definitely when I was growing up, that was the case. I think the internet will have removed a lot of that. Like a lot of communication is digital. Like, would you say a, a kid who has homeschooled has worse social skills than the kid who was stuck at home doing Zoom school? for three years during COVID, like, is that really any better? I don't think it is. So I think it, as parents, though, if you're going to homeschool your kids, I think you have to, you have to take the ball too, right? You have to put them in activities. You need to make other adult friends with children their age. You need to give your child the best chance of success in regards to that. You can't just expect a, an eight-year-old to go wander down the street and make friends, right? So you have to be real, willing to do that work as well. Right. There's more responsibility of the parent to Correct. Integrate yeah. the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm, maybe as a business idea, it could be something like, well, you can teach your kids the education part and send your kids here to play with other kids. So like a playpen or something. I think the big thing that really works too is like neighborhood sort of homeschooling, right? If you have three or four families and each parent, your each family takes a certain subject and you kind of move them around throughout the day and they kind of play together. That can, I think, is maybe the best of all the worlds where you have a, a very small class. Each family has a certain subject that they work on or, you know, if one family does it all, then you pay that one family. And that could be a certainly a way that would work as well. You know, I think regarding homeschooling, I'm not sure if all parents can be great teachers for the material in the sense that, well, Kyle, as you can see, and as you yourself say, a lot of the people across the world are completely degenerates, right? They mm-hmm. lack focus, attention, ability, capability, etc. How do you think these people will make good teachers? I don't think they would. I think, I don't think they are doing that though, right? Like people who are not it's like people like us that are ahead of the game and thinking outside the box that are now having these kind of discussions. It's not your average normie in most cases. True. Makes right. sense. The, the guys that you're speaking about, Harsh, I think will be the first to send their kids to public school. But guys like you, me, Kyle, we're like, uh, something about the public school system seems strange nowadays. I don't need my teacher talking to my kid about politics. And it's guys like you, me, and Kyle that are like, Yo, let's think about this homeschooling thing and see how it could play out. I do think that they'll they'll try to ban it. Like they'll they'll come up with something like, "Hey, this is like not good for the child. The child needs to go to school, so homeschooling mm-hmm. is banned." I think some attempt will be made for this type of stuff. I agree, no doubt in my mind. Actually, they'll they'll come after it at some point. They're gonna have to. Did you did you guys both go to public school or was it private school? I went to public school. Um, yeah, pretty much most of did my life, you, except for a couple of years. 
Did you have the full-on college experience? I mean, did you stay in a dorm? Did you go to yeah. parties? Yeah, no, I lived in a dorm at 18. Um, I lived in a dorm my second year, too. And then I got an apartment on campus or right off the campus. So, yeah, I had the full college public school experience. Right. What about you, Arman? I was in, I, I had a dorm. I was in a fraternity, uh, was recruitment chair. So I, Wait, I would when say, you say school, do you mean like school, school or like university? Like school well, means like the, K, the the 12 years of school, right? Right. From kindergarten to high school, Harsh, I mean, I had a pretty strict upbringing. So I wasn't going to parties and stuff that much in school. I would pretty much go to classes then come back home. And later on, I was in like the drama club and the political debate club, and that was about it. But in college, I started to have more of like a party. I started going to my first parties in college. Well, you didn't do dorms, right? Uh, Are you asking me or Kyle? I never went to college. Okay, yeah, you never went to college. You just started your internship and went straight there. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't go to college. So I'm a high do, school graduate, technically. Do your like family? Because I know how the Desi culture is. Do your family friends are like you didn't graduate college? What's wrong with you? Or do they not oh, even bring no, it up? No, no, no. I kind of did a degree called CA, which doesn't really require college. It's a distance education, but it's a very respected degree here in India. So no, none of those problems, to be honest. <laughs> okay, what about good. you, Kyle? What? I went to college. I have a degree, but I no, think it's, like, it's useless. Did you study what? in college or did you just party? Uh, I didn't really party. I also didn't really study that much either. I don't really know what I did at that time. I didn't really understand a lot of things. Um, like I didn't drink at that time. I didn't wasn't didn't understand women at all. So I didn't really have like a traditional, say, party college career. But um, what did I do? You were, I, I mean, with all due respect, you were a nerd during that time, right? You were still finding yourself? I wasn't like a nerd. I mean, I was pretty good socially. I just didn't drink and I didn't really understand girls at that point. But I wasn't like socially awkward at that point. Like I had a lot of friends. Um, I raced on the cycling team. So I was riding my bike a lot and running a lot, did triathlons. Um, so it's kind of a different kind of nerd, I guess you could say. So what initially got you curious about the whole pickup artistry life, self-improvement? I, I noticed people who normally get into that lifestyle, there was some pain that sparked it. Was there any pain involved yeah, for you? Yeah, I just didn't understand girls. Like, And I had one girlfriend in college, and it was just a, just a bad relationship, honestly. Like she was just, well, I didn't know how to handle her, but she probably had some sort of, she was just emotionally all over the place, like up and down moods, you know, and she just ruled over her parents. I remember that, like she just bullied them and she bullied me too. And I just didn't know how to deal with it. And then after we broke up, I was just, I had a girl at my apartment once and she said, what would she say? She said like, you know, we were over, we were having a good time. She said like, you know, we're not having sex tonight. And something like stuck to me, like it didn't make sense, like because things were going really well. And she just said that. So then I went and Googled like what to do when the girl says we're not having sex tonight. And then I, I found like game blogs artiste and then i went down the rabbit hole and then all of a sudden it was like oh well there's a there's a system here there's a blueprint if i adjust my life and adjust how i act then this problem will be solved and yeah it was solved kyle you're an engineer correct yeah was 
do you think being someone who is more logically motivated makes it worse for your abilities with women naturally in the sense that i've noticed that people who are dumber they do much better with women than people who are like you know more logically oriented yes i fully agree with that and even you know not even from a dating perspective but like when you have arguments sometimes it's like oh wait a minute like i'm trying to use logic and reasoning and it just doesn't doesn't work when it's there's emotions involved and when it's you know anger or frustration right so that's i agree with you completely like being a logical you know highly analytical male is certainly a, a downfall in that sense Kaltz, so what was your biggest learning when you started learning game? Because I remember you used to write about game before you kind of switched to your current topics. Mm-hmm. So what the was big, your I... biggest lesson? And what, like, for example, I bet if a lot of people are watching this video, they would love to learn more about how to deal with women themselves and how to actually deal with a woman who is overbearing. Like my solution is a bit of a non-solution for most people. My solution is just leave her. Mm-hmm. But then again, you have to develop yourself so that the next woman doesn't end up the same way. So what are your thoughts? The, the big thing is that if you're really struggling, and I actually have someone I've been coaching. He was in Ukraine um, last winter, and I've basically been coaching him since then. And the big issue is that if you're so stuck in your ways is accepting that you're wrong. I think a lot of analytical men especially like kind of blue-pilled guys are like, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what I was raised. I you know, was told to be a nice guy. I was told to do this and do that. And none of it works. And they keep holding on to those tendencies or they, they think like maybe just one more try at this and it'll be better. It'll be how it's supposed to be. The best advice I can give is you need a clean slate. You have to just assume and admit and accept that everything was wrong. You do that and you'll be okay. If you want to still just cling on to this ideal then that those are the guys i see that just struggle repeatedly on and on and they can never quite get it so that's the big thing is just immediately accept that everything you know is wrong which most people can't do and everything will get easier from that that would be my biggest advice arman what about you what is your biggest tip when dealing with women what's my biggest what my biggest tip is be funny i mean the world bends if you could be funny which is difficult for logical people to do because they overthink too much try to be funny man i mean however you see fit start a podcast go to improv do something but humor is the number one weapon with women but does won't that make you too much of a beta male where instead of strongly asserting your opinion you will kind of drown it out in humor like i see a lot of people do that I wouldn't Where, there's they, two they can't, different for example, types of, sorry go ahead well there's two different types of humor there's what i call the clown humor where you know much love to my boy will smith but he does this like you'll <laughs> change his voice like hoo 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 like i'm like no don't do stuff like that what's yeah. funny is what more so i mean is a state of mind where you're you're not trying to cling on to this person to make something work you have this carefree attitude where you're like it is what it is like if she walks away and then she'll walk away and there's that sense of calm coolness that you exhibit that's the kind of humor i'm talking about mm i see what Where, you mean and too i'm going to answer the question that you also asked Kyle like the whole logical stuff doesn't it hurt men it absolutely does and i think to perceive the incorrect 
uh, stuff that people have been taught about being nice and you'll get whatever you want. You need some sort of painful moment. And I understand that some people are like, well, you could learn it from other people's experiences. But I think you really need to be there where you feel some sort of pain. It could be what Kyle talked about being in a toxic relationship where he may or may not have been getting uh, dealing with a narcissist. Who knows? It may be getting cheated on or it may be outgrowing someone that you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with. But once you have that painful moment, that's when I think these sort of sort of stuff that we're speaking about, Harsh, start to make more sense. And you start to perceive a life beyond just logic alone. Um, out of curiosity, Harsh, did you ever have a toxic relationship or do you normally just dump her before it gets that far? I have never had a toxic relationship. I just typically don't invest too many emotions in women, generally. In the sense that I have always had so much going on. Like, I'm currently 26. So I've been a businessman, you could say, for like five-ish years now. So ever since, like, all the time I can think back, my priority was always something else. And the woman was either there or not there. Or, you know, it was never, like, something I cared about. Like, I could, like, leave a woman on a whim. Like, okay, goodbye. So I was never too emotionally invested in a woman for it to hurt me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like you were I never would, like, just friends with them, start calling them sisters and like, get rid of them or what have you. Like I never, like I, the way I think is, and this is not like the best way to think of humans, but until you actually find a good candidate for marriage, they're just there for your own personal pleasure, you could say. Was there ever a time where you thought this person was the one, but she ended up not being the one? Or Once. You just... Okay. But I think that's everyone's first relationship, you could say, where you just lack the experience and you... Puppy love. Yeah, puppy the puppy love. love type of stuff, yeah. And the one that you were talking about, Kyle, the toxic one that would bully her parents, mm-hmm. what happened with that relationship? I-, I could tell you guys broke up, but how exactly did <laughs> yeah, you break up? <laughs> um, <laughs> No, that was like similar to Harsh. Um, first relationship I was ever in, definitely puppy love. Didn't know if I'd ever get someone else, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, what was it? Basically, it, ooh. what happened was it was things were just not good. And she had this guy at her work who was hitting on her. And she said something to me like, I need to like just go and like see what happens with him. And basically I got more or less cucked. Um, and I think she went out or <laughs> went and hung out with him at his house. And I was like against it, but I didn't really have the balls to really say no. And then oh, she, she hung nothing, out with him. Oh yeah. She went to, I think to his house and then she came back, said nothing happened. Then he tried to kiss her. She started crying. And then I kind of took her back, but that was really the end of it uh, more or less. And I think we broke up like within a week or so. Um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Kyle the cook. That was kind of how that one happened. And thankfully, nothing like that ever happened again. And I learned my lesson. But and I think more than anything, I was I didn't want to lose that relationship. And that finally was like the gut punch I needed to then say, like, a few days later, like, we're going on a break. And, you know, we're going to see what happens. And then I just, yeah, we never came back together after that. It's a smart the- move to have broken up with her. I know oh, some people yeah. who would not break up for that. I know. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully that never got any further than it did. (laughs) 
I mean, what about you, you Armand? Do you ever have a toxic relationship? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was my, I would say my first ever relationship. I was, what, like, I was young at the time, and the girl was Cuban and Puerto Rican. And those girls, uh, they're, they're feisty. Crazy. Yeah, let's just put it like that. They're hot, and they have uh, these feisty attitudes. And I'm telling you, man, I mean, I was a young guy at the time. I didn't know anything about women at all. Uh, they were like an alien to me. So it was my first relationship. And I would say the toxic part was that I didn't really know who I was. I was wearing different clothes all the time. Sometimes I had long hair, short hair. So, I mean, I didn't understand why I was in that relationship. And it's like we were both in the same car and we we're just driving around aimlessly. And she was just... She was strange, man, and I was strange too. I mean, one of the worst kinds of toxic relationships is when you can't tell if it's toxic. You guys are just there and existing. So that was one of my stories. I was in high school at the time. Afterwards, I had relationships. But that's when I was starting to understand more about what I didn't want. And I had red flags, which I'm like, nah, I can't negotiate that. And we we're talking about this, Kyle, where me and Harsh were giving our red flags for women. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have certain red flags where you're like, oh, no, nah, man, like I won't even tolerate that? Yeah, a lot of them, actually. <laughs> what are your top five? The top five? Well, first off, well, so I'm married now. Um, oh, okay. And... I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah, no, I am. Uh, I, I maybe I didn't mention that earlier. But yeah, no, I've been married now. And I kept it under wraps for quite a while because I just didn't really feel like sharing that part of my life. But yeah, I've actually been married almost two years now. So and been with her for six years. So the biggest thing is just stable moods. So anytime a woman is like all over the place with emotions, like, you know, hour to hour, day to day, like her default should be pleasant and happy. That's like big red flag right there. If she's up and down. Um, bad relationship with father and that can be either that's mostly like a lack of respect like my first one who was crazy she loved her father but she also walked all over him so a, a healthy respect and love for the father um, obviously takes care of herself if she has let herself go in any way whatsoever that's a red flag um, other red flags would be you know excessive showing of skin I would say or excessive piercings crazy hair um what else is that three or four that's four that's four. Oh, it's the last one unwilling to to serve you i would say like if a girl can't cook like there's a lot of western girls that can't cook but is she willing to learn to please you that's a big one too so an unwillingness to you know basically you could say almost like a a hatred of men or just a stubbornness of like a feminist point of view where she's unwilling to do or change those things about herself. So those would be five big red flags. Okay. Arman, did you, did you notice something? We all no. tend to produce very similar negative lists. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right about that. Uh, and you thought of those pretty quick, Kyle. It's like you, you were expecting that question. I wasn't, actually. I just came up with it <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> Well, I kind of just thought of like the good qualities of my wife and then kind of just took the reverse. So I was like, okay, real quick, what do I like? Of what is What makes her good? And then I was like, okay, what's the opposite of that? And that's kind of where I came up with those. What about the opposite yeah. where let's say you have a daughter and like in the future you're giving her the red flags for men. Where four to five does stick out? Oh, 
Well, see, I don't know the gender yet, so I haven't started thinking about this. I should find that in a couple of weeks. So then maybe I'll think a little bit deeper about this question. But I would say, obviously, the, the same thing, the opposite. If he's weak and indecisive, major red flag. If he doesn't take care of himself, you know, major red flag. If he is a mama's boy, not independent, major red flag. Um, those would probably be the biggest three. It's just decisiveness, courage, um, and I mean, pretty soon in the future, I'll just be able to, you know, if I have a daughter and she's like thinking of bringing a boy around, I'll just ask him, you know, did you get vaccinated or something like that? And that'll be my litmus <laughs> test. So, <laughs> huh, the mama's boys one, that's a, that's a unique one. You think so, Harsh? Yeah, I don't disagree with that in the sense that if a guy isn't capable of like making his own decisions without getting permission from a family, then yeah, that's definitely a red flag in the sense that your family is supposed to give you advice, but not, you know, allow and not allow certain things. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be the king. Everyone else is like ministers. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's I think the biggest thing is that men who are too dependent on their mom or their parents, then they almost expect the wife to take that role. And unfortunately, too many Western women are, are more than willing to step into that as a, you know, a bossy, loud mouth, like, you know, yes, dear, do this, dear kind of role. Like, and we see that all on all sorts of Western television, where it's just the stupid, clueless husband in his terrible shoes, you know, with his beer in his hand and watching the football game. He's just berated, right? And that's, I I have people in my family that are like that, so yeah. that's, it's too easy to step into that role and fill that role of mama. Did you guys ever hear of the show called Temptation Island? Heard of it? No. So it's a reality show on USA, and the concept of the show is where four couples who have a rocky relationship are separated into two different islands. The girls are on an island filled with single men. And the guys are on an island filled with single women. And the whole concept of the show is to see if the girls or the guys from the relationship are going to get tempted. And initially, I heard about the show because uh, this girl I knew from college was going to be on the show as one of the single girls. I was like, let me just check it out. It would be cool to see someone I know on one of these reality dating shows. Bro, I kid you not. The, this show is one of the most insightful shows to understand. A psychology intersexual dynamics, loyalty. I mean, it's a crazy show. I haven't Can seen you elaborate it. what actually happened that made you think that? Well, I mean, think about it like this. Like, okay, so there's this one relationship where a couple was, the girl was crying nonstop. She's like, oh my God, I can't be on a separate island from my um, the boyfriend. So just to, the girl's name is Ashley. The guy's name is Casey. And Casey is like this guy, like, oh, my girl, will, she'll never cheat on me. Like, she, I, I got her on lock. So in the show, in the initial couple of episodes, she's crying nonstop. And Casey um, could see it because there's this thing called the bonfire where you could get updates of what your significant other is doing. So the guy, for the most part, is staying loyal. And then as the episodes start to go on by, this Ashley girl goes from loving her boyfriend, missing her boyfriend, to finding another guy on the island. And she starts falling in love with the new guy. And she's um, her boyfriend, Casey, is seeing her falling in love with the new guy on these things called the bonfires. 
and she's uh, like over here, like making out with him, smashing him, and Casey's seeing this. So as the show is wrapping up, he's like, "Okay, the only way that I could get my girl back is if I propose to her." So on the final episode of Temptation Island, the couples are reunited, and they could either leave with their initial partner or leave with someone new. So this dummy, after seeing his girl getting smashed on national TV, his logical mind is like, well, if I propose to her, she's going to say yes. So on national TV, he proposes to her. She says no. And she leaves with the other guy. And it was just so embarrassing, man, seeing this whole thing play out. Now, here's the twist. This Casey guy uh, lives in, uh, lives like right by me. Right. So I live in Tampa. I think he lives in Ocala. And I go to a club one day in Orlando. Right. And I see this guy, Casey. And I'm like, yo, man, aren't you the dude from Temptation Island? And he's just like, yeah. I was like, yo, man, I'm really sorry for what happened to you, man. Like um, you, you and Ashley still talk. And he's like, nah, man, the new guy dumped her, too. I was like, damn, bro, like, you should let me buy your drink. I mean, um, all will be good. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm completely over her. So I'm leaving, right? I-, I met this guy. I'm leaving. Suddenly, I see four to five girls, like, come lunging towards this guy, right? And as I'm leaving, I'm thinking that He's these famous. girls, yeah, know him. But they start yelling at him. They're like, uh, how could you? Uh, like, you manipulated Ashley. And I'm like, wait, what? She's the one who cheated on him. Uh, why are they attacking this guy for? And apparently, like from their perspective, uh, he didn't show this Ashley girl enough love. That's why she cheated on him. So these girls are over here like trying to throw a drink at this guy. And I'm like, all right, man, let me just dip. So I'm hers. Right? I mean, like this guy's life is, I mean, I want to say it's ruined, but it's, it's tainted for sure. Like, That's crazy. Well, you know, too, they also they select a certain type of people for those shows. And I think even by law, like if you apply to be on one of these reality shows, they got to like offer you counseling and they check in on you after the show. Like if you, you know, go read some basically anything for the reality show about the experience of going through it. They put you through hell and they check up on you for months after to make sure you're not like ready to off yourself or go like off someone else. Bro, so, he was telling me because when I was yeah. when we were talking in Orlando, I was like, "So how'd you guys get on the show?" He said that random people from the uh, show DM'd him, and he's he's talking about exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You have to do a whole bunch of psychological evaluations to even get chosen for the show. But they're not evaluating you to make sure you're mentally strong enough. They're evaluating you to make sure you're mentally fucked up enough to make good TV. Oh, interesting. I, I didn't think yeah. about it like that. That's that's the way they're doing it, man. It's not to make sure that you're stable and happy and healthy. It's to make sure you're screwed up enough that you'll be good on reality TV. But I have to ask, how is this real in the sense that won't the presence of a camera change people, a person's behavior? For example, if I wanted to cheat and I know that it was going to be on national TV, I wouldn't cheat. I think they make it things like, well, they manipulate it behind the scenes, right? So out of the one hour reality TV show, how many hours of footage should they shoot to get those specific cuts like that? 
and they probably interviewed that girl, what's her name, Ashley, and they probably asked questions like, you know, what's your relationship like with your father? Have you cheated on someone in the past? What's your relationship like with Casey? Oh, it's a little bit iffy. Why? Oh, you know, and then they set it up. Like they have, each person usually has like someone off camera. So then like before going out and shooting a scene or whatever, they'd be like, so are you thinking about Casey? Oh, we heard Casey hooked up with someone new. Maybe you should get back at him. They just manipulate it. Right. Wow, and, I see. and the singles that are on each island, they're chosen specifically because they're the couple's type. So Harsh, let's say you love like short women that are curvy with long hair. You'll see a lot of women like that on the island designed to tempt you. Damn, that's, so that's an interesting show. Right. And it's not only the girls that cheat. There's some guys that cheat as well. Um, it's a shocking show because you never know what's going to happen, who's going to cheat. And it's normally the couples you think are going to make it from beginning to end where one gets tempted, they cheat. And seeing your partner cheating on you on national TV, I mean, that's embarrassing. I think, too, what they do, though, man, is they set up those couples that are most likely to cheat as the angels. So they manipulate mm. that. They get the right cuts, and they go, go into the season making everyone think, oh, you know, Ashley and Casey are perfect. And in reality, they're probably the ones they think are most likely. They just set it up to give the whole narrative. Right, so right. It's about creating the juiciest television, which makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. And what happens is during the bon bonfire, when you get to get updated with what your partner is doing on the different island, the producers specifically show uh, uh, videos out of context to make you think, of course. oh, yeah, yeah, my partner's about to cheat on me any second. And that's why that Casey guy, he actually wanted to sue the show for mental damages or something like that because one of the clips that they showed his girlfriend, Ashley, was a clip that was completely taken out of context. So Kyle Harsh, I mean, if someone were to ever leave you, I'm sure you guys feel strong enough to understand like, yeah, it's going to hurt, but then I'm going to be okay even without, with or without the person because, you know, I'm an independent person. So Casey was saying that in one video, but they twisted it in a way to say, oh yeah, if Ashley left me, I'll be perfectly fine, which painted the narrative that the guy was about to cheat on her. So she's like, okay, I might as well cheat too. So the show, like the producers are like, they know what they're doing to create must-see TV. Well, they don't even need to have it all on camera. They can just show him briefly and then overlap his voice. They could take 20 different sentences he said to get the exact combination of 20 words they need to say that. And then that's it. Um, but like I said, you know, you, you sign away any right to sue over anything. Like all those contracts say, we can show you anything and edit it in any way. So you sign all your rights away to do that. And then, yeah, you mental health. Yeah. They have to provide, I'm pretty sure some sort of counseling after. Right. I don't know, God. Do. I think that even if the other person, even if you think the other person is cheating, I think it's a bad move to do something like that, especially on, you know, TV, because then your own honor is tainted forever. But you're missing the point, Harsh, that these people, like, who would volunteer to go on a show like this? It Not depends on how much capable of. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
Well, I mean, yeah, but people who generally are looking to go on these shows and are willing to accept that and go through all of that are not people that are capable of that logical thought, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this on national TV. I think they must be kind of prodding them to do something because, you know, I've heard, like, if you are too boring, they'll just kick you out from a reality show and bring someone else in. Like, you're there for the entertainment. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's It takes a certain type of person to want to go on that, I think. But it's all manufactured just for TV. I don't know, Kyle. Like, if it pays enough and someone is already, say, a struggling actor or something, I oh. think it makes sense. Like, all publicity is good publicity. No, you're right on that. Like, you know, when I lived in LA, I dated a lot of girls who were, you know, trying to make it in the industry. You know, same story. I went to this acting class, went to this audition, blah, 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 just never ends. And yeah, they would do anything for a little a little bit of publicity that could maybe jumpstart their career. So yeah, yeah I see it. You're right on that. That said, and, if you're an actress wanting to get more famous, wouldn't you want to do something like cheat on your boyfriend on national TV and be known for it? Make, make sure you're, mm. you're staying, but no bad publicity, right? No. You guys are thinking in ways I wasn't initially thinking of, but now you guys are echoing truth because I believe that Casey guy was a model when I was talking to him mm-hmm. or some sort of fitness influencer. So it does make yeah. sense because their social media <clears throat> profile started to boom after the show. I think though the general pay of these, I, I don't know like for this one exactly, but I know like on the, there's a show called 90 day fiance where it's usually Americans either bringing over a foreign spouse or they're going to a foreign country and, you know, marrying a spouse in that spouse's country. And that only pays, I believe like a thousand bucks an episode. But I guess if you don't have anything going on and it's a 12 episode season, then that's not too bad for a lot of people. So yeah, maybe it is worth it. Mm-hmm. Would you guys ever go on a show like that? If you're single? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. So the girl Unless I knew, she... broke. In which case, I would like you know, you know, with things like this, a legitimate offer has to be made to see the person's real choice. Where I can say I wouldn't go right now, but if I was really broke, let's say I was like a homeless guy in California or something, <clears throat> then I would probably go. Mm-hmm. I would actually even. Uh, I'm going to take my answer back. I would maybe even consider it. If there was like some way to spread like real truths about dating and stuff, like go on there and just drop red pill bombs, but it would all just be edited <laughs> out. It would never actually make it how I intended it to be. So, right, yeah. because they're on the island for three weeks, and each of the episodes are just one hour. I believe there's seven <clears throat> to nine episodes. Yeah, I think though they also. I mean they. They feed them a lot of alcohol, if I'm not mistaken, in shows like that. And they also take away any contact. So it's just literally three weeks on an island. So it feels like a really long time to them because they're not doing anything besides sitting around and drinking and talking. That's about it. And causing drama, obviously. You're right about that. There is a lot of alcohol and yeah. <laughs> no contact with the outside world for three weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those yeah. shows where you, you just start to see a lot of things. I mean, I sometimes check out reality shows just to study psychology, just to mm-hmm. see how the mind works, see people in action. I understand a lot of this stuff is edited. I also understand a lot of this stuff is true. I mean, who would have thought that I would have met one of the guys 
it's not actually that much of a coincidence because I believe most of the people on the show are from Florida. So mm. I think it's a Floridian-based <laughs> show. It's a, it's a unique concept. Well, I think the biggest thing about psychology like that you can see with dating is you can look at, say, uh, The Bachelor, right? And people always say like, oh, well, how can all these women like this guy while he's making out and sleeping with all these other women on the same show? They're all competing for one. And it's like, that's exactly what women like, is they like knowing that there's pre-selection and that their guy is valued by other women. So it's just a perfect cocktail right there, right like that. And then if you look at the opposite show, I think typically it's a little bit more like, oh, we're going to f- fight and argue over, you know, the girl, the bachelorette. And it's just, it's the perfect example of how humans are almost slaves to how we're programmed or animals deep down. Right. Harsh, Man, you're you... getting banned from YouTube today. <laughs> <laughs> This this show though, guys, because I don't normally recommend shows. This shows um, it makes so much more sense if you have the lens that you two do. Where <laughs> uh, Kyle, you have a background in pickup artistry, um, and Harsh, you have a lot of red pill truths. So I'm sure you guys will perceive the show much different than how the average consumer of the show perceives it. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go check it out. Is there like a way I can just watch the highlights? I don't know yeah, if I want to watch on. the whole season. Maybe I'll just be able to find some clip with a recap of everything in like 20 minutes and I'll check it out. Yeah, just go on YouTube, type in Temptation Island. And I believe there's three seasons fully out right now. Okay. The fourth one is being worked on. So there's a lot of highlights in the mix. Season Speaking three of recap. Temptation Island, how many of you guys would consider moving to Thailand? 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 Yeah, Thailand. It's a little probably... hot for my taste. Probably not. I'd probably visit, but I wouldn't move there. I know a guy who moved to Thailand. You know, because of all the women there. Mm-hmm. He, he has an online business. And mm-hmm. when the whole thing with COVID was going on, I don't know how or how he managed to do it, but he kind of got into Thailand. And he was like, fuck this, I'm going to live here. All the women are hot and thin. I learned the language and I just live here from now on. And apparently the Mickey sends me the photos. The place is really beautiful. So I think a lot of people in the future might actually make moves like that, where they might actually move to a pleasure island of some kind. Would you ever do it? I would. I wouldn't do it for his reasons. I wouldn't do it for the women, but I would do it to save on taxes. He's living on an actual island in Thailand. I'm assuming Thailand is an island, and I don't know. I don't no, know. Thailand's I mean. mostly landlocked. Some well, place called it's... Pattaya, Pattaya, or something. Pattaya. It's <laughs> the most degenerate city there. <laughs> That's supposed to be where all the sex tourism and everything is. It's very famous for that, if I'm not mistaken. It's very cheap as well. Like yeah. But Personally, it, it I don't think like I would. Life to be. I don't love the beach. I mean, I lived in San Diego for a long time. I don't think the beach is that exciting after the first week or two. And personally, I just was not, it was just a little too far off from what I was used to that I would really want to live in a place like that. But yeah, certainly there's some pluses to it. And the beauty and the ocean is is a nice thing to have. But I think most people, if they move to the beach, um, they don't actually end up going to the beach very often is usually how it goes. 
I do think a lot of people, Kyle, who have online businesses would move to places around Southeast Asia, especially Pattaya, Bangkok, and these places, just for the freelancers. A lot of them do. No, I know quite a few that have moved out there. Westerners that moved to, you know, Saigon or to Bangkok. And yeah, there's definitely some pluses to it. It's certainly a little bit cheaper than Europe. Um, and if you can deal with the heat, then it's certainly, a, it's not a bad option at all. Victor Pride used to live in Saigon, right? I believe you're correct. Yeah. I believe one of those, either Saigon or he spent some time in Thailand too. Yeah, definitely. I love that guy's content, man. I It's sad that he stopped writing. What are your thoughts? Did you read his work? Yeah, I always read his work. Um, I actually met him in LA once. Um, he did a meetup there. So I actually have met him. But he was very quiet in person, actually. Didn't really say much. So um but yeah, no, he had some great content and I wish he hadn't shut it down, but I guess he, he took the God pill as well. What is the God pill? Like, it seems a bit insane to me that people are taking a God pill in the sense that for me, like as an Indian, like I've had religion since the beginning of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't see like taking it later in the future or something. I don't see it as something I have to like, stop doing what I'm doing just to like be a Hindu. Well, I think what it is, Harsh, is a lot of guys who are really into game and digital nomad- nomadism. So I think Roosh and Victor Pride are the two examples. Like Roosh got to be quite a bit older and was not having the same experiences with women. You know, he was constantly chasing that dopamine hit. He never, you know, found someone he wanted to settle down with to have children with. And then Victor Pride, I think, was maybe similar, like moving country to country, no permanent base. So I think as you get older, a lot of these guys who are into game are, they become dissatisfied with it. That's partially just because it gets old and partially because the times have changed. And then if they're not looking to maybe have a family or something, then like, what else do you do at that point? I don't know. So I think that was kind of, you know, you turn somewhere if you're not obsessed with girls and you're obsessed with God. And I think that's kind of what ultimately happened like with Roosh and then Victor Pride. I don't, he didn't really talk that much about it. So I can't really, you know, theorize on that at all. But I think it's, it's an issue with men becoming dissatisfied with women and not taking that maybe next step in life. And I think that's, they turn to something, they need something to worship, right? If it's not pussy, then it's God. I see. What I do don't you think, know. I, I just have a lot of respect for Victor Pride. Like if, if it wasn't for Bold and Determined, Life Math Money <clears throat> would not be a brand. Mm-hmm. Like I got the idea of starting a blog because of BND's writings. He used to write about being a professional writer. And I said, hey, let me try my hand at this. And it kind of went from there. Arman, mm-hmm. did you ever read VP? Later on in the game. I didn't know that that was Victor Pride, but I saw a few of his articles. I was his site's not even up at all now. Yeah, it's not. I actually, there's a domain like boldenddetermined.net that expired and I got it. So if Victor, you're listening and you want it back, I'll give it to you. I just bought it because (laughs) I wanted to prevent someone else from buying it and then hoarding it or, you know. There's a new site, boldenddeterminedforever.com with all the archives. But yeah, his site's gone. I would assume that, um, I mean, what you said, Kyle, if someone discovers the God pill, I would think if that was the case with Victor Pride, he'd keep creating more content because I'm sure his content could be more powerful that way. Or did he feel like, oh, no, I shouldn't uh, create content because, you know, 
I'm not speaking the truth. I'm speaking a derivative of the truth. Did he ever explain tried, why? He tried like creating content about Christianity. I think it was Brother Nicholas or something. But I don't think it really caught on. I think he just stopped. Oh. I think, well, Roosh has obviously pivoted towards a lot of God stuff, but I don't know what Victor did. I think to a certain extent, well, I mean, doesn't most religions say you should not seek fame? You should not seek, you know, worldly means. So maybe that would factor into that? Yeah. I don't know, though. <laughs> That's a bit different from Indian religions, you know, because like yeah. in Hinduism, it's it's the opposite. Like if you are, say from the type of people who are the community who's supposed to be businessmen or like a king, then you're supposed to seek fame. You're supposed to seek money. You're supposed to be greedy. And if you're not greedy and you're not hungry for power, then go, like, then you'll perish and God will punish you for it, basically. Yeah. So like if you're a king and you like stop lusting for more territory, for more money and more like, you know, wealth, then like you will perish. Like God will make sure that you will perish. So if you're a king, you're supposed to be hungry for land, money, power. If you're a businessman, then you're supposed to be greedy and like want to make more money, etc. If you're a Brahmin, you're supposed to, you know, be more to oriented towards education. So it's very different in India, like the way religion gives you values. Where it's not like everyone is supposed to be the same way. Interesting. Did not know that. And it but makes I'm, a lot of sense too. Because I mean, if you if you are someone who's finding, if you're someone that's finding faith, or if you're someone who is wealthy, I would assume that you'd want to become more wealthy. Because for you to have gotten wealthy in the first place, you had to be providing value to some people. So if you want to frame it as, oh, I'm getting rich and this is selfish, I, I'm sure that's the incorrect way to look at it. Think about the value that you're providing, and you just said it harsh. I mean, um, a lot of uh, your followers may not be aware of this, but you're saying that BND played a big role in LMM starting. If it wasn't for Victor Pride, then I would never have gotten into writing. Yeah, Do you have a certain inspiration, Kyle, from anyone? Mm, no, not really. So for me, um, I'm sure we both know the account, uh, Fateh Singh. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Ralph. And Dr. Ralph. I mean, this is when I used to think Twitter was the worst app ever. And I thought it was just a knockoff of Facebook. I'm like, well, why am I even going to give this app a chance? And my roommate at the time is like, yo, man, there's this side of Twitter where you got to check it out. And this is in 2018, where I see guys like Fateh Sharnu, Dr. Ralph, Ed Lattimore, like writing this content. And I see you too, Kyle. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, who are these guys? And that was when I restart, uh, restarted Toastmasters. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just create this Twitter account called Armani Speaks and tweet. And I'm like, nah, man, Armani Speaks sounds corny. Armani talks. And in the beginning, it was just public speaking content. But that's what got me curious about writing. Guys like Fateh and Dr. Ralph just mm-hmm. spitting truth. I think Kyle joined Twitter much earlier than us, did you? Didn't you? Oh, yeah. I've been around a long time. But in those first few years, it was not, it wasn't very serious, right? It was just like friends hanging out in a chat room. The whole like Twitter as a business, Twitter as a, as it is now really did not pick up till 2018-ish. 
Like before that, it was just like guys from the manosphere just hanging out and shooting the shit. There was no hey, like outreaching right fighting time, customers. Say again? Arman and I came at the right time, 2018. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Before we started that, a month just, away from each other. It was just bullshitting. It really was. What's your guys' perspective of Twitter nowadays? I think there is some hope with Elon taking over about the full free speech situation. But lately, I've decided to just identify as a woman and then anyone I don't like gets banned because they call me a he. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I agree with Harsh there. I think um, it would be good. And I think it's very telling that they're so reactive to him wanting to take this. Um, and I think it would be good long term for free speech and for Twitter if he did get control. I'm also kind of wary of people, you know, just not worshiping him, but thinking he's the savior, right? It was like the same thing with Trump. Like, oh, Trump's coming to save us. Like, and they put all their eggs in his basket and they just, no one else does anything. They expect us to be saved. And that's not how we're going to fix all the problems in society is by having someone save us. Like everybody's got to kind of step up to a certain extent. You know, I think there's like a, a lot of PR on Elon Musk's part to give off that image. Because from what I understand, he cheated on his wife before with another married woman. And Whoa. so it's it's not like he's like the most honorable person in the world. I agree. Like, I think he's a good guy. I think he's trying to do good I in the world. I think he too. But he's kind of blue-pilled in some ways, man. I mean, he had a kid who I think is a gender-neutral child with someone named Crimes. And what's his kid's name? Oh, yeah, we've got to look this up. What I think that's his... probably just for publicity. But that's what I'm telling you, Kyle. I think a lot yeah. of Elon Musk is very, very good marketing and PR, mm-hmm. which people don't realize. <clears throat> yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, yeah, look at that Grimes girl, man. She's She's got red flags written all over her. Like, really. Richest man in the world, and that's who he had a kid with. Crazy. What's your guys' take on the whole separating the art from the artist? Are you guys someone who find it easy to do or difficult? What do you mean? So let's say you love this one artist. Like they keep making great songs. You're like, man, I love this guy's songs. And then you find out that he got um, indicted for pedophilia. Can you still enjoy the person's songs or is the art tainted as well because of the artist? I wouldn't be able to, I don't think, for sure. Art would be tainted. I, I don't think it would be tainted at all. I think that it's a separate thing. I, it's like a song is Like, if you know, for example, if someone is a cuck and they're giving relationship advice, then yeah, that is something I can't separate from the artist. But a song, I can definitely separate. Or a novel, like a... Like, I don't like J.K. Rowling opinions okay but i like her books so mm-hmm. i can separate that on the other hand if there's like a guy who's like raping kids and teaching you you know stuff like how to be a more more relig- religious person and you know which group of people i'm talking about here yeah i don't think i would take them very seriously yeah i think it all depends like i definitely have time sometimes you know, just looking at like modern sports, I'm like, I can't enjoy them anymore because they're just so politically, just I hate hearing it. You know, I don't want to turn on a basketball game and hear about how black lives matter. I don't care, you know? So I think that's kind of the, the litmus test I'm using there is, yes, my enjoyment of a sport has gone down because of that. So 
yeah, it doesn't really answer your question, Armand, but that's that's my thoughts on it. Well, one of the most recent ones of this debate occurred with R. Kelly. Do you know who R. Kelly is, Kyle? I know who he is, but I don't. It's not really my type of music at all, so I couldn't I can't name have a you, song of his. Have you heard of him, uh, Harsh? Never heard of him. Okay, well, he has been relevant in terms of music since the '90s. Has tons and tons of hits. Uh, but he has a dark side. I mean, apparently he likes underage girls. He got caught in some sex tapes, pissing on people. I mean, the g- guy has a dark personal life, but his music is amazing. And it's like, can you still listen to his songs without feeling a sense of disgust? And personally for me, man, I love the song Ignition. Um, that was one of the first songs I heard when I came to the U.S. So I don't know if Spotify took it off. I didn't see any R. Kelly songs on Spotify, but it is a debate. It's like, can you still enjoy the man's music knowing what a dark side he has? I would be able to. Like, I can tell you that for sure. I don't, I would be able to separate it. What I'm saying, what I'm interested in is learning why there are so many child rapists in this whole entertainment industry. Like, what is it about this industry that produces child rapists or attracts child rapists? That and, you know, this industry and religion. Power. Hmm. That's a good point, especially the entertainment industry. I've heard a lot of stories about this. You know who would be a cool guest to have on? Um, Western Mastery, who I see him talking a lot about the dark sides of Hollywood and fame. I wonder if he could shed more insight into this. Hey, I used I remember this guy from 2018. What happened to him? Um, Twitter. He's still, he's still, he's still here. He's still around. I well, don't see his account anymore. I can comment on that. Basically, it kind of depends if you want to subscribe to the whole like New World Order Illuminati, and you can go down this rabbit hole. And there's compelling arguments for sure. Um, you know, if, if you even go further down that, it's like, are all professional sports games rigged? for the numbers because if you think about it like the whole argument basically is these people who are you know kind of run society the the bankers the the old wealthy old money right they have so much money and so much power they have nothing else and they think that they speak to satan or they think they speak to a higher power so they set up the whole world to manipulate that so that's kind of where it all goes that's where that's where that rabbit hole starts is (laughs) is that kind of Illuminati New World Order there. Everything is planned. Um, you know, it's like conspiracy theories on crack, basically. Globalist. But, yep. It's, it's... What are your thoughts on those theories, though, Kyle? Do you, and Arman, do you guys believe them? What are your thoughts? Do you think they might be plausible? I look at some things and I think, yeah, they, they could be plausible. Um, I'll, I won't even lie, though. I think it's it makes me feel like crap when I go down those rabbit holes and start looking into it. And it's still kind of one of those, if it's a red pill truth, it's one of those like, ah, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's just too dark and too deep. Um, which makes me think, Oh yeah, maybe it, it could be plausible in some ways. And it, it would explain a lot of things. It really would. Um, but that's kind of my thoughts on that. It's, it, it, some of them are so far-fetched, it's hard to believe. And some of it, you look at and you're like, oh, maybe that would explain a lot. Um, ultimately, I really don't know, though. Yeah, I mean, for me, like in the beginning, it makes sense when one of these people that love conspiracy theorists, um, they'll, they're telling you the latest conspiracies. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
That makes sense too. And that too. And then they start getting super dark and super weird. And I'm like, all right, man, I, I don't need to hear anymore. So it, yes and no, Harsh. It makes somewhat sense, but I, I, I don't see it all making sense. Hmm. I agree with you there in the sense that I think a lot of the conspiracy theories which kind of give off this image of some secret entity controlling everything are they have this wrong premise because they have this assumption of extreme competence and if you see the people in power today the one thing they lack is competence so on one side this guy is an incompetent idiot he Basically, he's like stumbling over everything. On the other side, he's planning this extremely complex event with lots of people and taking over the world. It doesn't make sense to claim both things to me. However, I do believe certain theories, which some some theories that make more sense than others, I would say. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about like, say, President Biden stumbling around on the stage, I would say like, well, yeah, he's got handlers that are pulling the strings behind him. And I can rationalize that. That makes sense to me personally. Exactly. But yeah, that's, I agree. That's where I'm always like, is it, is it all controlled? And it's all by design, the incompetence? Or are they really that incompetent? And I'm not sure which one is worse. Like the only government I could like believe conspiracy theories about is the Chinese government because it's the only competent government around. Everyone else is like outright incompetent. The only Mm -hmm. competent government that actually gets things done is the Chinese one. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I don't know, man. It's it's hard to say. It really is. Um, But yeah, some of the theories they make a lot of sense. but ultimately, it's not a lot we can do about it. So I don't see the point of worrying about it too much. And when you start learning about it, it just takes you from one rabbit hole to the next, uh, to the next, and then you start getting paranoid. And <laughs> that, that's when it's like, well, how much is your education helping you? I mean, you're just over here getting scared about everything. You're not allocating enough resources to build something. <laughs> that's the thing with being an entrepreneur nowadays, Harsh Kyle, where it's you have your life in some ways needs to be consumed with it just so you're improving if you have another hobby where it's like oh well i'm a conspiracy theorist or that's the stuff i find interest in i i don't from my experience my mind isn't capable of being consumed by both things yeah i agree it's just it's too easy to go down that rabbit hole the one i think i can really get behind though is um media and hollywood as pre-programming like i definitely can agree that that is used on some level to get people to accept ideologies and ideas i can definitely like kind of get behind that one so i definitely think if you see something in constantly being pushed up in movies and narratives politically in media i think it can definitely be like this is something that is somewhat planned on a level kyle I'm going to confirm a theory for you right here, right now. I know a guy who owns one of the biggest news outlets in India. <clears throat> what you're saying is true. Yeah. It's not even like um, it's a secret. Like it's true. Like yep. there are certain narratives they want to push and they're not hiding it. Like if you go to the, if you read their shareholders letters and things like that, that's what they're telling you. Yep. Like we are like a magazine or like a, a channel that promotes this type of stuff. Or, well then, like, so then 
that's what I would say is like, look at stuff like, you know, the Hunger Games harsh, that movie and book. Yeah, I've read the book. Why, yeah, why was that so pushed and so popular and given so much media attention? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> that's it's scary, isn't it? Scary to think like that. You know what it is, all right, Armand? You know what we're talking about? Um, no. I, no, I never read it or watched it. The Hunger Games? No, I have, I have heard of it, but I never consumed oh, it. Oh, well, it's basically, uh, you know, in the future, times have gotten more dystopian, and there's like 13 districts on the country or the planet, and they acted out and rebelled against the government, and to punish them after the government took control, they have to send children to these games where the children kill each other every year. Starts with like 16 children, and they get narrowed down to one. They kill each other with bows and arrows and guns and other stuff. From oh, ages like okay. seven to eighteen. No, but I don't understand what you're like trying to convey about that. I don't. I don't get well, it. Well, so why was it given so much credence when so much media attention? What if, if that's pre-programming? What is it? I don't think that is the pre-programming. I think the pre-programming is usually like the LGBT stuff and things like that. Like it has to be simple. Like the pre-programming. Yeah, no, I agree. But like look at all the guys that are making every show just to normalize it. People believe, okay, this is a normal thing, mm-hmm. even though. Well, it's and I think part of it though is, um, you know, there's been a huge uptick in violence in the last few years in the U.S. and a lot of shootings and a lot of issues. So it's like, is that sort of film? And this might be stretching it, but is that a a way of getting people used and desensitizing them to violence? And children. Now we've got this whole groomers and you know t- talking to your kids about sexing. Is that a way of desensitizing them to horrors happening to children? I don't know. Listen. I don't know. I think the sex thing is to desensitize them to a lot of other things. But yeah, I think I don't. True. I can like. Okay, I'll give you an alternate example, Carl. What do you think of video games like Grand Theft Auto? Do you think they kind of desensitize you to shootings and you know car robberies and things like that? Because I played a ton of Grand Theft Auto and didn't do anything to me. That's a tough question. That's a tough question. I mean, there's been a lot of studies about whether it makes kids who played that as an adult more likely to commit those acts. I don't think so. I mean, I'm in the same boat. And I played a lot of Halo, a lot of Counter-Strike. It doesn't mean I want to go pick up a gun and start, you know, mowing people down for sport. So I think it's certainly a stretch. But if you look, you know, deeper down this rabbit hole, and you start saying like, oh, hey, these intelligence agencies are, you know, the ones that pull out these fa- false flag events. They do it by programming someone to act on that, right? So this it only takes one, right? You only need one person to commit a travesty. So I don't know, man. That's, that's a really good question. I don't have an answer. And a remix to that question is music with violent lyrics where you may be like, oh, well, that's not having an impact on me. But when you're listening to music, uh, you're in this trance, and who knows how much your subconscious mind is listening to it. I mean, I know that there's certain music I can work well with, and then like I could never listen to rap music and actually get work done or writing done. I think music has a huge impact on how people, their moods, and how they act. It absolutely does. Mm-hmm. It what about not. you, Harsh? You, you listen to music with gritty lyrics? I only listen to music with motivating lyrics. I wrote an article on this, like stop listening to soy music. So I don't listen to songs which are typically about love or sex or, you know, blindly chasing money. I like songs which are more about strength, power, 
and getting things done etc i like a lot of this guy's music tommy lee he has good music on spartans tommy lee yeah the one that was hold on are we talking about the let me see if i'm thinking about the same guy I'm... oh he's old school man you like, then I like some of like older music which which doesn't have a lot of lyrics but it's just you know singing or oh, sorry just um just a background instrument playing like a flute being played but not exactly a guy singing to the tune mhm so i like no that no vocals yeah no vocals although i'm learning a bit of singing lately just to improve my podcasting skills so i've been like listening to some simple songs which i can like in the future learn to sing you know tune into the notes so i'm breaking my rule of not listening to any songs about love just to find some simpler songs yeah i mean for me personally i've been listening to more music where i don't understand the lyrics or if it's pure instrumentals so i've been listening to some bollywood recently oh that sucks bollywood music isn't that good i i notice people that are from india will say that they'll be like oh no no that movie's cor- or the movies are corny and the music's even cornier but if you're in the us it's so different and that difference is what makes me like it i see i'm going to take harsh's side on this it's corny <laughs> it's corny <laughs> what about you kal you listen to any um chinese or your other half is italian right yeah no i don't listen to either one mm. what kind of music do you listen to i mostly listen to instrumental or like um remixes i you know i do that like while working so i'll listen to not like really harsh like dubbed stuff but like think more like chill out house music like and i just usually punch into youtube like you know chill out tropical mix or something like that and usually the stuff is pretty good for working i also kind of like the the 80s kind of synth wave for working like the midnight um fm84 some of that stuff a lot of like sax a lot of synth um i find that is good for working as well but do you like house music and dubstep no i don't i like i like the kind of lighter version of that i don't like anything too bassy or anything like that okay because that's a cult in florida if you like it you don't only like it you love it you, you like it festivals yeah. and you know all the dj's that music gives me a headache i like chill step more it's like dubstep but a calm version you could write to it you could study to it mm-hmm. chill step so, so do you consume entertainment uh, uh Kyle uh where Harsh and I talk about this sometimes where he, uh, he doesn't really watch shows or movies like that. Do you watch shows, movies? Not really. I, I really don't even like movies very much at all, to be honest. Like, if you mention a movie, there's a, a good chance I've probably never even seen it or anything. So, no, I'm not really up to date with my, my pop culture and my movies, um, shows. No, not really either. Once in a while, Books, I'll get into mm-hmm. something. No, I'm bad with my what do you normally consume? my media, man. Oh, what do I consume? I don't know. I don't really like... Oh, what do you I play want? video games? I watch... No. I don't know what I do. What do I do in my free time? I, I, I mean, in <laughs> Europe, I would just go out and walk a lot, man. I would just go walk. I'd go hang out with friends at the cafes, um, obviously go to the gym, play basketball. I mean, 
yeah, once in a while I'll get into a Netflix series or something, but for the most part, no, I don't really have much I consume. I think I usually just like to just chill. Actually, I mean, I'll put on sports, but usually I usually am just working, you know, while I have the sports on or something, I'll just kind of have it on the background. And um, I like racing. I like F1. I like IndyCar. So I like motorsports, but that's really about it. I can never get into that. Uh, NASCAR? Yeah, NASCAR is pretty boring. No, IndyCar, F1, um, the faster cars. NASCAR, is, I used to like it, but it is, it's pretty dull these days. just too long. What's the top sports in India, Harsh? Cricket? Cricket, yes. Okay. I think it's the only popular sport in India. Or that's the only one people watch. Everything else is, you know, if it exists, no one watches it. Doesn't a cricket game sometimes go up to days long? I have no idea. Okay, th- that's what I heard. I think it does. The- yeah, I've heard that too. Right, like it goes through a couple of days. And that's the difference with America, where America, uh, there are certain sports that are so big globally that U.S. people don't even know about. Like um, cricket's one or of soccer. them. <laughs> yeah, they call it they call it soccer. It's football. football. Yeah. <laughs> I think in America they have a different sport called football, right? Yeah. Have yeah, you ever American seen it before? Football. American football. I've seen it because I wanted to see. Like people keep talking about their extremely good physiques, so I was actually seeing like what is it? And these guys are huge and big and strong, like admirable. Right. Well, the linemen, American though, the really big like, ones, the really strong ones are, you know, they're designed to be uh, 300-pound guys, just a block. I mean, they're strong as shit, but they're also, you know, yeah, they eat a lot, put it that way. Yeah, everyone in American football looks different, where a kicker looks like a little guy. He'll look like just a regular guy off the street, because they all have different positions. And yeah, you're right, uh, Kyle, where a defensive lineman or offensive lineman uh, if you just see them walking on the street, you'll be like, man, this guy's fat or this guy's just big. While a quarterback looks like a teacher in some teams. <laughs> so everyone in American football looks different. I mean, to understand the sport, it's like a physical chess game that's happening. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't like it when I was younger. Nowadays, I appreciate it more. It's a lot of mental stuff that goes into that. Yeah, it's very true. Too many commercials, though, man. Those games, it's, that's the whole problem with like all the American sports is I've enjoyed watching actual football in Europe because it's two hours. They have a 15 minute halftime and there's no commercials. Same with like Formula One, two hour maximum window and no commercials. An NFL American football game, it's like four hours. Nonstop commercials. It, yeah, it's ridiculous. No point. I mean, what keeps American football intact, uh, despite a lot of their poor leadership skills, is a fantasy football. I would say that's one of the main things that is keeping the average consumer engaged with the game, even though Dorks. I'm not a big fan of that. What exactly is fantasy football? Like, what oh, is you'll it? laugh harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and tell our plot. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's when a group of uh, people, uh, friends, get together and they create their own. Uh, they get to draft uh, from the players in the NFL. So let's say you, me, and Kyle wanted to... Uh, <clears throat> participate Uh, we'll have a draft we'll create our own football teams and throughout the year we'll see whose football team does the best so the initiative that we have to watch the game is to 
watch the game and see if the players in our roster are having a good game. Yeah, basically harsh. It's based on real life. So if you draft a player from American football and they have a good week, then your fantasy team scores more points. And you can so like Pokemon for adults. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. I can see people enjoying that. People just get way into it though. You know, they'll basically watch every game just to see if their team's winning and in reality it makes no difference. I mean, I've played it before too. Like if you have a group of friends and you all just like put you know 100 bucks each into it and you have 10 of you and then you've got, you know, a little prize pot at the end of the year and a trophy. I mean, it can be fun, but like you know, the problem is that American men they spend their whole weekend they'll watch like college football on Saturday and then the NFL games, the national football games, they start at 1 p.m. Eastern and they go to like 10 p.m. And there's guys that will watch that all day, all weekend. It was so. a hilarious because my old school roommate <clears throat> would listen to podcasts on what sort of lineup to set. He'd read blogs, watch all these shows, and he'd normally do the worst. It was hilarious. Because <laughs> <laughs> me, I would literally just set my lineup right before the game started. He's putting in all these hours of work and he would always end up last place. It's hilarious. <laughs> It's like the stock creator guys, you know, some some of them, like, they spend a lot of time researching stocks and they always lose money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you overthink. Yeah, for sure. There's such a thing as too much thinking. The last time I did fantasy football was last year. And that's because a bunch of the f- friends growing up, we all live in different spots right now. So when we did the draft, it was a good way to just talk some shit, uh, catch up, uh, trash talk, etc., so it could be a good moment, Harsh, for just rekindling friendships as you're growing up. Everyone's doing their own thing. Yeah, I can see that. It's like a group activity in a way. Right. And you could make some money at the end. Or lose some. Or lose some. <laughs> it's a zero-sum game, the money part. Yeah. Well, guys, this was a great episode. Do you guys want to keep it going or you want to start wrapping up? Oh, I need to start wrapping up. I'm doing this yeah. 5 a.m. challenge thing, and it's already 11. So Oh, let's stay on. Then. Let's keep him on as long as we can. <laughs> All right, guys, let's just do one more hour, okay? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Is this the one, Harsh, where you uh, take a picture of your watch? Yeah. Oh, nice. I do them twice a year. 5 a.m.? 5 a.m. every day. 5 a.m., yeah. I post a picture of my watch, and people what can join in. What time do you usually get up if not doing a challenge? It really depends, you know. So, you know what happens to me? Like, I'll start waking up at 5 a.m., right? But as the months go by, it'll start becoming 5.30, 6, 6.30, 7, 7.30, 8, 9, 9.30, mm-hmm. 10, 10.30, 11, 12. Oof, and yeah. then I'll be like, okay, I need to correct this. So, we'll do 5 a.m. again. Another challenge. <laughs> yeah, the reason it happens to me is because of this on, on- online business thing, right? A lot of my business partners live abroad. Like, they live in the U.S., etc., and for me to do meetings with them, sometimes I have to stay up late, like at 1 p.m., etc. So right now. my time kind of, yeah, like right now. Yeah. And kind of keeps getting pushed a bit up and up and up because I need the sleep or I won't recover from my workouts. Yeah. So every once in a while, I just do a hard reset. I just start waking up at 5 again because that 12, the noon, like once I start waking up at 12, I know it's going to go crazy now if I don't stop. It's going mm-hmm. to become 1, 2, etc. 
Yeah, I usually, I'm a little bit like, almost like a bear in the summer in Europe. Like I'll pop out of bed, no alarm, 5.30, 6am. But then in the winter when it's cold and dark, I'll sleep till nine, no problem. So it kind of just varies for me. But usually I try to be up by 6.30 or 7. My body can't sleep till 12. It just wakes oh, up. Do at, that either. Yeah. It just wakes up at 6, even without an alarm. I don't set alarms anymore. That's good, man. That's that Florida climate too. It helps the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Harsh, good luck with the competition or the challenge. How, how long is it going up until? Um, 30 days, and today is day three. Day three, okay. okay you've got a long ways to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always good. I always enjoy doing it. I'm way more productive when I'm waking up early. Are Even though people... I think, Arman, our next episode would have to be in the morning, like before. six Morning your time? Yeah. Okay. So, okay, then... That's no problem for me. Are others posting uh, their watch on your thread? Yeah, a lot of people are. Like, at least 10, 20 people are. You're doing something good, man. I mean, you're creating this, not just a challenge for yourself. It becomes a brotherhood. I'm thinking of starting a community, like a circle community for the people who bought Live Intentionally, where they can all talk to each other, post your watches, ask questions, etc. I need to figure out the pricing structure and I would love your advice on this, the two of you. So people already bought Live Intentionally so I could like have it free for all the people who bought or I could charge like 10 bucks a month and I'm leaning towards the latter because one, it makes more money and the second is that it has more serious users. I would maybe even do like a trial. Like if you buy Live Intentionally, put a coupon code for a free trial month to the community and set it up so that the subscription, they still have to enter their card info, and then it, it charges them after that month. And if they don't like it, they can just go in and cancel beforehand. Hmm, makes sense. That's what I would do, yeah. If you're not really worried about making the money too much, I mean, obviously the money's nice, but if you mostly just want to have it for the community aspect, yeah, I would make them make that investment right when they buy the book, you know, put a coupon code in the front and the back, and then just don't charge them for one month. And if they don't like it, if they're not getting value, then they can just cancel before then. That's how I do it. The only thing I'm a bit concerned about is that starting a community is like a huge time commitment. And yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if I want to put that much time and energy and i just have way too much going on if you have a couple other people then it makes it a little easier or if you have like a friend or a moderator you can trust like i would say like right now i might even be interested in like you know moderating on some extent maybe armand too like you know you can find people to work with if it's all kind of common ground so just a thought Hmm, that's a good idea. Let me like if you can just have further. a yeah, if you have a Discord that you know certain people moderate certain channels based on their expertise, then it makes sense on some level. And you already have a Telegram channel, right, Harsh? Yeah, but the Telegram channel is free, and Telegram isn't like a very good community platform because <clears throat> you know you have I have ten thousand people on my Telegram channel, and I had to turn on the setting where you can only send one message every twenty minutes. Because otherwise, if two guys are having a conversation, it's like sending notifications to 10,000 people who don't really care about these two people conversing. But they can turn that off. They can just mute it. Yeah, but then they mute the entire group, right? Uh, yeah, I think, but most people, when they join a group like that, uh, notifications are off by default anyway. No, but would it not be nice to have like a Reddit-style forum or something where 
you can subscribe to certain threads and not subscribe <coughs> to certain threads and it also gives you this brotherhood aspect like for example like when i post this image of waking up at 5 a lot of people will start doing the challenge with me just because now they have some kind of you know support or they can see other people are doing it so there is definitely value there and if the thing is getting muted for by default then that value is taken away discord is the best option then man because then you can basically set up certain channels in the server and then you can say like hey i want notifications for this channel or hey i don't want it for this one you can mute certain users um discord is probably the best bet then i think circle.so is like discord I, i'm not sure I, i've kind of i took a demo from them let me see what i can do mm-hmm. the only thing is i need to figure out whether i actually have the time for this or not because live intentionally the book has sold like 7500 copies and if i make like a community i yeah. bet like at least 3 4000 people would show up on day 1 mhm that would be a lot so to it, deal with yeah it it might actually be like a lot of work that i'm thinking i mean managing a community is is not easy it's it's time consuming it can be self governed to a certain extent like they can f- like people can flag messages i think in discord but i'm not positive you can set it so if a certain number of people flag it then it gets deleted or moderated or whatever but i don't know if you can necessarily rely on that yeah i need yeah, to harsh. figure this out i need to figure it out i love joining communities but i'm not a big fan of managing communities i do have experience in that with a sports page i used to run i, I wasn't a big fan of that i mean my my style is more i, I try to run it lean where when there's a community and if there's not much planning behind it you start to get sucked up in it a lot so i mean if you could if you could think about the logistics as well uh, i'm sure it'll be a great idea i mean a few years back when i was waking up at 5 in the morning the whole element of joining uh, the 5 a.m club on instagram's page and seeing the guy keep posting stories and motivation motivated me for the day so i definitely see some demand for what you're doing I see. All right, Arman and Carl. I need to get some sleep, but this All was right, a great man. conversation, and I'm really Good luck glad on your you challenge. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it was fun. Good luck. Uh, any final words, Kyle? Where can they find you? Uh, KyleTrouble.com or on Twitter at KyleTrouble. Great. And any final words, Harsh? No. Oh. Wake up at five, boys. I'll see you guys. All right. Thank Cheers. you guys very much Thanks. for joining Unapologetic Truths, and we will catch you next time.